Uh, strange but true. I'm saying it. And as of yet, I haven't had anything change my mind about it. Strange But True is my favorite song of all time. Oh, my God. <laughs> no, no joke. No joke. Every time, every time I'm thinking about what is my favorite song, this song is not, always up there, whether it's one, two, or three. So I think Prince, that right? Not just Prince or not all time. Prince, I think of all time, I think. By anyone? Yeah, I'd probably say so. Because wow. every time I'm thinking about it, this is always the one that's sort of there in, in my head. And, and then I listen to it, and every time I hear it, it just blows my head off every time. Very big. Oh, wow. Wow. Uh, this, is the, this might be the biggest moment on the Peach and Black podcast <laughs> show in our history. It's all downhill from here. It's like wow. on- award-winning, unofficial podcast on Prince. For over 10 years, giving you Prince news, reviews, trivia, and all things happening in the Prince world. Featuring the hosts, Rob S. I think the craziest thing that's happened is when Prince invited me and Captain to meet with him in New York in 2010. Captain. Anytime Prince gets on the guitar and he starts getting up near that top fret, just get ready to blow your head off. Player. Oh my god, that's the Minneapolis sound right there. Toe Jam. There's just layers and layers of stuff going on in his music all the time in every speaker. Find Peach and Black on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Hi, this is Eden Nelson. This is Tony Young. Hi, this is Larry Graham. This is Mr. Hayes. And you're listening to... And you're listening to... And you're listening to... And you're listening to... The Peach and Black Podcast. The Peach and Black Podcast. The Peach and Black Podcast. The Peach and Black Podcast, baby. Now over to our host, Rob S. Hello, welcome back to the Peach and Black podcast. And we are back again for an album review. We haven't done this in a while. The 1999 release, Rave Into the Joy Fantastic, with a little side dose of Rave Into the Joy Fantastic, seeing that those two albums kind of go hand in hand in a way, part of the same article. But before we go into it, let's welcome everyone back to the show again. Captain is here. Ain't nobody banging. Player is here. Doing the marshmallow. And Toe Jam has decided to come along today to talk about an album that he doesn't think a lot of. Come one, come all to the download ball. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so let's get started. We'll go straight into it. But before we go into our song by song, uh, in-depth album review, let's set the scene a little bit. What was going on around the 1999 era or the 1999 year, I should specify? You know, what's the history? What's the background before uh, before this album came out? Prince was suing Uptown Magazine. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, that's every year, isn't it? That's every year. (laughs) That could be Um, any year. Technically correct. (laughs) What else was happening? It was a strange year. I think it started with the 1999 remaster that came out about February. Around the middle of the year, we got The Vault from Warner Brothers. And as soon as that dropped, he announced that he's got a new album called Rave. He said The Vault is just old stuff. Stuff and it was he was trying to take the focus off that album and say that he's got a new album coming out. Okay. And probably the main thing about this album, it was sort of billed as a comeback album, kind of like in the vein of Carlos Santana's Supernatural album. Yep, yep. Where there's guest stars and, and sort of pitched at a certain 
audience. Or it was supposed to be pitched at a certain yes. audience. <laughs> that didn't really happen. So. Yeah, yeah uh, we could do an entire episode just on the promotion of yeah, this album, the positives right. and negatives of it. It was a bit all over the place. Like, you know, he signed with Arister and all the, all the year there was talk that there was going to be this big comeback album and 1999 was on the music channels every second song given the year. And so it was, it was definitely a strange period for Prince because he wasn't, I don't think he was personally ready yet for the big comeback. I think that came a couple of years later with One Night Alone Musicology Era. Mm. Uh, so this was a kind of very strange release uh, coming off the back of like New Power Soul and that kind of thing. Yeah. The other thing was that, and this is more of a minor point, I guess, but there was a little bit of a hoopla made about the, the fact that this album had credited Prince as the producer. Producer, uh, because yeah. he's an excellent editor, apparently. <laughs> yes. So uh, <laughs> this was to be produced by Prince and everything else was going to be done by... Koki J. Hieroglyphics and symbols. An, so An excellent editor like that nine-minute version version of Laveau we all know so well <laughs> yeah the 23 minute version the, inf- <laughs> the now infamous 23 Actually, minute version. it is funny that he said that you know it's, oh he's a great editor and when the when you think about it the album's like the longest single disc album he has I think it's like 75 <laughs> minutes 72 minutes or something yeah, crazy yeah, like it's that it's pretty long no, yeah. but that's that's full of all the silent gaps, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Those are all like the dedications. If you, if, you, if you take we'll that, get to out, that, it's not as long. Mm. Anyway, true. Yeah. The other thing is that, of course, it, this still was an album under the the symbol name. Uh, should we say? Uh, was it, it was, was really it the last? Yeah, yeah, it was the last album of the symbol era, I guess. So we had come. That was the, the death of Prince, and this is this is death of symbol. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. In a way, you should have um, called it came. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> came and went. <laughs> so, so what else? But anything else? Uh, kind of thematically happening, or even in the context of? Obviously, we talked about the 1999 single because it was the end of the millennium, or coming up to the end of the millennium. But in Prince's career, he was at this stage really. Uh, well, you could argue probably one of the most successful independent artists of that era, of the mid to late 90s, I would guess. I mean, you know, he, he sort of dabbled a little bit online by that stage and really pioneered a lot of web development and then, you know, we can go into, but we won't. I don't know if I'd the, say he was the most successful, but I would say he's the most, He would at the time, he was the most well-known independent artist. Yeah. Don't know about successful, though. It was yeah, still, think, a, like, he still he still sold a lot of records though, but it was I a lot of trial and error on his front. Like he, he was still new to the sort of independent game, and he was just trying different things, see what worked, what didn't work. Mm. Napster was big around this time. Like people like Annie DeFranco were really making a stand for independent artists. You know, really making a, a decent career, being I don't want to say famous, but you know, being a big name artist. And it kind of showed that you could do it. And so Prince was probably the most famous of all those people trying to do that. Yeah. And I think also musically what was going on at the time was, uh, at least from an R&B point of view, it was, it was the era of neo-soul or, or at least the yeah. um, probably the right in the middle of it. I mean, you had a lot of people, especially within the um, R&B, African-American R&B, I should probably highlight, you know, people like Erica Badu, The Roots, obviously already in the in the game for a few years, but coming with some of their strongest material by that point, D'Angelo, Raphael Sadiq, all, all those types of guys. He, he actually, you can keep going with that list, Jill Scott, et cetera, et cetera. It just keeps on keeps on coming. That was a very fruitful time period, I feel. But on the, on the flip side, the alternative rock era was kind of coming to an end. 
things slowly, at least in my opinion, started becoming a lot more electro-pop sounding, a lot more plastic in many ways. That's what I remember of the late 90s is the people coming up like um, Britney Spears, NSYNC, mm. J-Lo. There was a lot of like, you know, manufactured bands. and It was the big pop. Sound. It was the big pop comeback. It was great. Mm. But I also, I also like around this era, you get the distinct impression that record companies, you know, they put out a product and it was really disposable. Like if it, if it wasn't a hit, like that's it, they moved on. Yeah. Yeah. And so you, you had to have the hit, you know, instantaneously or else, you know, that's it. I kind of get the feeling that that started happening very much so in the mid to late, more so probably the late 80s and kind of started brewing in the 90s but definitely by the end of the 90s you know you've got got you know Coco Jumbo and Peter Andre and <laughs> and and acts that seem to just come and go very kind of synthetic manufactured you know boy bands girl bands spice girls it's the era of the of spice girls really yeah <laughs> isn't it and uh but then in the middle of it you've got an artist like Santana along him along with his band comes out with with one of the more successful albums of that time and really reinvigorates his own career and potentially Prince and his troupe and the people at Arista at least initially thought that that was that was going to happen. They said well. I'll have some of that. Mm. I don't think Prince knew what he was getting into and I don't think Arista knew what they were getting into when they signed Prince as well. I think it's in uh, in terms of trying to make that big supernatural 2.0 kind of thing. Like it was mm. never going to happen. Yeah. And finally you know it raises another um in one sense I'm having a f- an interesting thought is <laughs> brewing at the moment just thinking about any time we've mentioned Prince collaborating with other artists and bringing other artists in and that that side of his music and I look at this album and and at the track list and really half if not more of the album was a collaboration project to some degree Hmm. And and then you think about degree, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) which means very little, (laughs) exactly. And but I think importantly, it does raise the notion of does it work? And I don't mean does it work in does it sound good, but does it actually work? You know, how easy or how difficult? What type of challenges (laughs) come up when Prince thinks of collaborating with other artists and vice versa? And so we might go into that when we talk about the song reviews. But the other thing I'll just add at the tail end of this whole uh, era, you know, the, the, the late 90s, is it really started becoming apparent to most people, I think, that were serious about the music industry, uh, and, and that also includes fans, obviously, is really the death of the record store by then, to a large degree, the introduction of the internet to a huge degree, and the idea of the commercial element, music as commerce, really started becoming... A, a major force, even for fans. So you know, and, and then this album comes out in the middle of it. So should be an interesting show. Uh, so uh, unless anyone's got anything else to add, let's go into uh, this intriguing release. The title of the first track, "Raven to the Joy," fantastic. Track number one, Raven to the Joy, fantastic. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Anyone want to lead this off? Are there there any, put put your hands up if you're a fan of this track. Oh, yeah. Okay, all right. Toe Jam, why don't you you start this show off with uh, your thoughts on Raven to the Joy, fantastic. Okay, well. 
first thing, the most obvious thing, for most hardcore Prince fans, we probably know that this song is from a leftover from, say, 88, 89, around there sometime, and was supposedly on the original configuration of Raven to the Joy Fantastic, uh, supposedly around the same time. So a lot of people feel that this, what I've read anyway, a lot of people feel that this song doesn't really belong on this album. But um, to me, when I got this album, I wasn't a huge Prince fan at the time. I was getting into it. I had no idea that this was an old song. And it wasn't until probably a couple of years later that I found that out. And so to me, when I heard this song, I, I never had that connection. Uh, so to me, it, it just feels like it's seamless with the album. I, don't, I, can't, I find it really hard to hear it and hear it as a song recorded from the 80s. Well, I wonder actually, because we know the year before this, he was do, uh, putting together the Crystal Ball Project. And I wonder uh, if he was going through all his vault things and thought, hey, this song, and it sort of brought back some memories and thought, hey, maybe I can make an album based around this kind of vibe, which I think he has to an extent. Actually, the song itself, fantastic song. The, the highlight for me is just his, his screams. They're just painful. Uh, literally, like when I hear him scream that scream towards the end, I, I have to like crunch my face up. It's just it's painful to listen he, to. He sounds, he sounds just like he sounded in, in 88, doesn't he? <laughs> Gee, I, wonder, I wonder how. I wonder how he did that. <laughs> and what makes the song so cool is you know, this big beat rhythm and then there's this accent on halfway between beat two and three. So it's yeah. one, two, bah, two. One, two, yeah. three, one, two, bam. No. <laughs> Cracks that the whole way through with the guitar and the, the bass drum. And it's got that classic sort of almost Rolling Stones kind of electric guitar riff running through it. Uh, and it's just minimalistic prints. And um, I've read somewhere that he didn't release it at the time because he felt it was too much like Kiss. The production Yeah, was I much- saw that. I'm like... You can kind of see, but I don't know. It's not that much like his. It's it's I, it, I think yeah. that's a connection that only he could see, though. Really. Well, you can see it once someone points it out to you, but I don't know. I don't think it was that yeah, but similar. How many songs are sparse? Millions. Yeah, that's right. But he's like, oh, they're too similar. I'll get real. <laughs> but um, oh, it's it's a cracker of a track. Total cracker of a track. This is one to turn up loud and just yeah, party to it. <laughs> Good production values on on it as well. I mean, even today, it sounds yeah. from a production standpoint alone sounds as current as anything, really. Yeah, and it's I really mean. uplifting. I don't know if you guys feel that, but to me, it's like it's really uplifting. It's this kind of big beat song, but it, it always puts a smile on my face. Ah, oh. <laughs> see that point there is is what I make when people talk about remasters and how tapes disintegrate in the vault. Like this was bought out of the vault, and it just sounds like it was recorded yesterday. Like the sound quality is fantastic. Yeah, and and when when I listen to this and I think of albums like Love Sexy and I'm thinking, wow, like if, if the sound oh, of Love Sexy wow. could sound like this track, <laughs> can you yeah. imagine? You know, yeah. the possibility is there. So like I don't really have any worries about what's stored in the vault because if, if you can pull out a track like this and whack it on an album and it sounds like this, then I think it would be in good hands. Yeah. <laughs> Although we don't know how much extra work was done, etc. I mean Yeah. It's hard to say, but well, that's right. It's but it's possible he you know re-recorded all those program drum beats. Like it's possible he did that. But I don't know. I Whip think the drums just... could have been redone, but I'm pretty sure the vocals they sound different. Oh yeah, yeah. They, they absolutely sound different to how he sounded. You know, in 1999 to 1988. Mm. And you would know that how? <laughs> because we've listened to Love Sexy and other albums from that year, and his vocals on this track in 1999 sound very different to anything else on the album. To that my is, ears. That is true, yeah. If you really listen to it, it's a different voice. I mean, it's not someone else <laughs> singing if I had a harem, but <laughs> but it's him. But it's different to how he sounded when this album came out, for sure. So uh, who, who else wants to go, go in on this one? All right, I'll take it. The song is very much a groove, 
And it doesn't really vary much from that. It reminds me of the 80s era sound, obviously. But being talked about for over 10 years in print circles before its official release, I mean, once I got to hear it on this album, I was a bit like, oh, it's... it's What's the big deal? (laughs) Kind of. Like, I'm looking at it differently to the way Toe Jam looked at it because he didn't know it was an older thing. But, I mean... You know, as great as it is, it was a bit overhyped for me. I'll give an example. Like the chant was used in the Batman 12 inch. You know, if you're watching Graffiti Bridge movie, he's got the score sheet. Like, you know, in- Ingrid Chavez is, is going through the sheets and there's, you know, rave. And then, you know, it said remind him of Kiss and it was left in the vault to marinate. And, you know, so after all this time, I was expecting some blow your head off type release. But, <laughs> yeah. However, the things I like, okay, I, I like the fact that it was a vault item and by all accounts it was released as its original recording. As we know, most things he pulls out of the vault are either reworked or laced with too many overdubs. So I like mm. the fact that he hasn't touched it too much. Multi-layered vocals with the reverb creates this nice thick texture. The guitar tone in this era is, all, is my all-time favourite, as I've mentioned before. So a big tick on that front. Especially the last 45 seconds or so of the song, it's essential headphone listening. Mm. Um, the way the guitars pan from left to right. Great guitar. Yeah. yeah. Nice little riff. Um, and the guitar line, I, I believe he used it in the song The Max. Yeah. So go and check that out. And those electric piano keyboard stabs that interplays with the rhythm. I'm a big fan of that. As far as the remix goes, um, it raises the BPMs a bit, but it's too disco-fied for me and too many overdubs for overdub's sake as a conscious move to make it sound different. Yeah, The remix to me sounds like, yeah, it's just a remix kind of thing. It sounds to me like he's trying to add sounds on there to make it deliberately sound like a remix. Yeah. Like I'll just put this, uh, uh, another keyboard and another guitar on top of this to make it sound different from what the original is. Yeah. Anyway. The thing with the, if I can just quickly go, go in on the on the remix, um, and probably preempt that by saying that I bought the rave into the Joy Fantastic version of this album off of uh, MPG Music Club. The rave into the Joy Fantastic release, which which uh, I remember getting from the MPG Music Club. I was really looking forward to it to see what the remix was, was like. And when when I first heard it, it was just this lame sounding house style houses in house dance music style. Uh, version, which which I think was was a pale imitation of the original, at least to me. Yep. Um, and I've created my own version of this album on iTunes, on, on my iPod, I should say, by taking my favorite versions of, of each of the, the songs that have more than one version of both releases. And this one was a, the Rave remix, was an easy throwaway. Very easy. Aww. I mean, it's just pretty bad. I would assume that most fans would have a similar <laughs> reaction to it. It's just, not only does it not add anything, it makes it sound kind of Sesame Street-ish. It's just a bit. Whenever he's taken any of his songs, including 1999, and made a quote-unquote dance version out of it, it doesn't seem to work. Just my thought. But anyway, Captain. <gasps> okay, here we go. I like the Into version much more. Oh, no. You're kidding. Only... This is your 2011 The Morning After moment <laughs> right here. I think <laughs> you Rave started into off the, the year with a bang, Captain. <laughs> I think the remix version is better for... Why, why, why? For two reasons. The first one, because the first time I heard this, I was in Paisley Park in the Love for One Another room with that blasting through the speakers. And I think it was the first time he'd played it anywhere. And everyone just sat there going, oh, whoa, whoa, listen to that. And it was great. That doesn't make any sense. Why would people Why would people have such a positive reaction to the remix? Because it was a song we'd never heard before. Yeah. That was before Raven 2 came out. It was unreleased track. Probably if I was there, I'd probably have the same reaction too. Mm. You know? yeah. when context. You context, the context yeah. Yeah. When you're there, every song that comes on, you listen and you think, is that yeah. official release or is that uh, something else? <laughs> 
you just wait for him to slide something in there and you're like, oh, it's, it's something we haven't heard before. Yeah. So that, that's one reason. That's the first time I heard it and it just it blew my head off then. And that sort of colors my view on it because I just remember that time and it was good. Well, it's a good it's a good point you make. I mean, how many of us when we hear a song think of where we heard it first, who we were with, etc. So, I guess there's a there's a there's a pretty real element of the, the memory plays a very real element in songs, but yeah. And the second reason is I think the remix version is more similar to the version that I had in my head. What? Yeah, because, I can see what you mean. It's because closer to listen, the, listen, listening the to all the remix, listening yeah. to all the samples from Bat Dance. It's a faster beat. The version that I had imagined from those snippets out of Batman uh, is more like the is more re- like this remix version that uh, you know that but I thought it was going to be like. Don't you think there are some really corny turns in the remix though? Oh, there are, but I like it. <laughs> and is it just me? But does anyone, including Captain, not feel that the beat, the quote-unquote dance beat, is kind of thin? Yeah. It's, it's just like he used some plug-in or some pre-programmed MIDI. It almost sounds like a MIDI beat. It's just not, doesn't oh. have any punch to it. Yeah. It's got some yeah. bass. It's uh. got some serious bass. You listen to it on some big bloody speakers. At in Baisley Park. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Probably with the bass all the way up. <laughs> but that's that song. I think it's a good one. I prefer Into than Unto. <laughs> How Shakespearean of you. Hey. Um, well, I, I don't really have too much to add. I definitely prefer Rave Unto the Joy Fantastic. I think it's really... S- it works because of how sparse it is. And I agree with ToeJam about the uplift factor. It's definitely something that it actually, it psychs me up for the rest of the album. And yeah. um, most of what comes up after this. <laughs> it takes you, you need some sort of psych up to get through this well, album, do you? <laughs> no, no, I was actually going to say that most of what comes after this actually is quite good and, and pretty solid listening. Not all, but most of it. But I don't think the promise of this song, of this opening title, ever really manifests in the album. And by that I mean this this really sounded like back to basics Prince. It's it does sound very late 80s in every element. And and I just thought, wow, he's just gonna fill this this rate. It's a crazy title for a song or an album, really. I mean, what does it mean? Rave unto the joy, fantastic. It just had all these conjures up, you know, space science can, fiction can... elements. And I'm just thinking, oh, this could be an album of, you know, new ideas, new concepts, new recording processes and, and new sounds. <laughs> and that doesn't happen. That's not to say the music is bad, but yes. it's, he definitely goes into... He follows this track with a lot of convention, so... Anyway, I could just imagine him coming up with the title for that track, and there's no way you could ever make a song as good as that title. (laughs) It's just not going to happen. It's just such a cool bunch of words together. And again, it's all him. He's got the drum machine programmed nicely, but then he layers in some nice synths, bass, and guitar elements, vocal overdubs, all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, I I like the song. I think it's a very solid song. I just should it have been on this album. Who knows? It, It does stand out very very much and, and the other thing is that it this would be great to hear live i'd love to hear this song live yeah, yeah. i'll add that to the other hundred songs in, that would sound great in this style as well yeah in, in this sort of that sort of tempo so this that's is the kind that. of song I, I don't want to rave on too much about this ah did you get it yep uh, <laughs> i got it <laughs> i don't want to rave on too much this is the kind of song i could imagine if i was going to a prince concert and i had like an hour to get ready or something this is the song i'd put on just to pump myself up yeah i could do that mm. I could do that, definitely. 
followed by Pretty Man for the after party. <laughs> so, wow, one track over. <laughs> so let's go into track number two. And again, this is followed with a remix. So let's tackle two in one. Undisputed. The undisputed truth and get Player. Okay, Undisputed is a bit of an oddity for me. Um, as you know, I love Prince music, and when I'm not listening to Prince music, I'm listening to a, a wide array of other styles, but primarily hip-hop music. And Public Enemies music was a big soundtrack of my life growing up, and so when it was announced that there'd be a track on Rave that would have Chuck D guest starring on it, I was really excited to check, check, check it out, um, especially after some of the comments made by Chuck D about Prince in the early 90s, which I'm sure is all resolved now. Um, but after listening to the song, I, you know, I came to the conclusion that, you know, both are great at doing their own thing, but not necessarily together. But having said that, there are certain wow moments in there for me. Um, the interesting drum pattern and the mighty return of the Lin drum. It was nice to hear the Lin drum make a return after all these years. The vocoded backing vocals and the random sound effects and scorches that run all the way through it, which you need um, headphones to uh, really appreciate it. It's cool Questlove and D'Angelo got to mention but I'm not a big fan of the shout-outs. And the uh, out-of-touch, my dear, I am the touch lines are mm. cringeworthy to me. Another wow moment for me is the chicken grease-style guitar that's played whilst Chuck D is doing his mm. rap. Yeah, that's um, good. Really nice, but overall it's a hit-and-miss track for me. All right, all right. Uh, Captain? The, I'll just say what a player said, the Lindrum, the, the mighty return of the Lindrum, that was a big thing in the in pushing this album, I remember. Mm. I remember it was a cymbal album, but Prince is back and he's brought his Lindrum. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was what they were saying. I just remember that. It was funny. It's only on a couple of the tracks, really. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it also this album got the tag um, "Best in Sign of the Times," <laughs> like every other <laughs> every other album between Sign of the Times and this album. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Did, did they forget? Did they forget about Emancipation? I think yeah. so. Did they forget about the Gold Experience? <laughs> or did they forget about the Symbol album? Yeah. So. <laughs> It's and like, yeah, yeah, let's go back in his catalogue and let's find his best album ever and let's say this is just as good or better. No, no pressure. <laughs> Stupid. But anyway, anyway uh, this song, it's got, it's got very interesting drum programming in there, which he does. He talks, he says about D'Angelo and Questlove in there somewhere. I can't remember what he says, but he says their name. Which is, isn't that kind of a semi-diss? What does he actually say? I don't know. I just heard the names. I'm like, oh, there. Well, better yet, Questlove. Yeah, um, but it's um I don't just, think it's a diss at all. I think I think the point of the song is, you know, it's undisputed that, you know, if you're if you're um doubting Prince and his abilities, you know, go and ask D'Angelo or Questlove like, you know, like what we bring. <laughs> because they copy me more than anyone else. <laughs> yeah. No, but he knows he knows that they're massive fan, like they're massive fans. Well, the, 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 see, I don't like the the name checking though. The 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 line I think is uh my level is now what you must learn to rise above. Talk to D'Angelo or better yet, Questlove. Yeah. So, yeah, I could see that, I guess. I don't think it's – I think it's – he's not dissing them. I think anyway. He's uh, I like the little harpsichord break in there. Oh, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's very Larry Graham-esque. <laughs> it is. It's very – GCS. It's, it's good. I like that. But this as well, I like the Raven 2 version. There's just less clutter. There's less – crap in there the the album version's got all this extra you know it's just sounds it's just clutter but the into version it's really it's more it's, it's, it's easier to listen to it's just a straight song without all the 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 fluff but yeah that's it 
Yeah, I was. Well, I'll just pick up on that, uh, and then we'll go to Toe Jam. I got only a few points to make, but this the, the money Apple is mix is the mix for me. Yeah, undisputed remix is is just an. Are you disputing undisputed? <laughs> I, am. I am the original version. It's okay, but some of the some of the chants and the shout outs are a bit cringeworthy for me. NPG and. Yeah, get rowdy, but production isn't as good as on on the Moneyapolis mix. So I'm really going to talk about the remix because, for all intents and purposes, it it contains you know the core of the the original song, but it, it does add a few things, not least of which is the bass popping. I love that. Okay. It's just it, beautiful to listen to. It comes straight through the headphones very very nicely, and um, again, just in, he's inserted them those bass pops right. You can't listen to this remix now without the bass in there. It just it adds it adds a big element of funk into it, and the chicken grease at the end is delicious. Um, it's just a cool <laughs> song. Good. Yeah, it's 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 great stuff. It it reminds me of I guess some of the beats and production style that um, he was he was utilizing in the late 80s around the Batman era soundtrack and even in the early 90s with some of the more hip-hop stuff. But this this sounds pretty pretty current. I mean, you can listen to this this track today. So um, I, I definitely... This is on my iPod mix of this album, for sure. Uh, Toe Jam. Oh, I think I'm going to say straight up that I prefer the Unto version only just, only just. We, oh. For a couple of years there, I did prefer the Into version. I don't know, the last couple of years with the Into version, I just find that it's really good for the first minute and then it just sort of goes and it sort of whimpers out, I find, when it starts uh-huh. getting into all the too far right to get left on a sideways. It's like, oh, whatever. <laughs> um, but having said that, uh, I like the Unto version just because it, there's so much in it. It's, it's really thick. There's a lot happening. I know that's what you guys say you don't like about it, but I actually like that. Regardless of what version you're talking about, I like the sort of stop-start nature of the, the bass line. Dun, 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 that kind of thing. Yeah, um, and uh, I love the chicken scratch. To me, that's the highlight when that comes in over the rap. The rap itself is kind of cheesy. Um, I would have preferred it if Prince had done something there. It does kind of seem like Chuck D's just sort of in there to have Chuck D's name on the album, kind of thing. Mm. What else have I got? Yeah, the Return of the Lin, obviously. This was definitely the first one, I think. And since then, he's pretty much he's used it on most albums at some point. So that's a good thing. Most of you guys have said what. I kind of like about it. Uh, I think a lot of people do get turned off by the NPG Get Rowdy chant, and I can see why. But I think yeah. if you can get over the NPG Get Rowdy chant, and if you can get over the um, the cheesy rap, I think the Unto version is much better. Mm. I don't and see, so you bring up man. you bring up an interesting point. I know we've had this discussion over the last couple of years anyway, but I just repeat like a broken record my position on this. If you have to get over anything in a song, especially if you have to get over a few different elements, it's just not worth it. In the long run, <laughs> just listen to some music that is great as it is. That, that'll be my, my my comment to the, to the listeners anyway. So, was that it? Did, did I? Yeah, I that's, that's that's pretty much it. Yeah, I like it. I should have to say, Chuck Chuck D and Player might slap me for this one, but I, I, I've never considered him a uh, particularly. Uh, how do I put this? His rhymes never sound brilliant to me. As opposed to what he says, I don't the know if, that, if that makes sense. Yeah, the the, me, the message is stronger. Yeah, yeah. The, the, well, I think the message is much stronger in Public Enemy and in Chuck D's right. rhymes. The the the, the wordplay isn't 
it's not top notch. He certainly has plenty of good, uh, you know, writes a good stanza, but but as overall, he doesn't. And just as an example, going back to this undisputed, he's got a couple of lines in there. Real renegades don't invite grenades to make the grade. This is a brain raid. <laughs> That's one. Uh, got you back against the status they throw at us. And here's my personal cringe cringe factor line. Back against the wall again. High trees catch a lot of wind. Oh. oh what? No. Followed by last band standing, got a knack for overstanding. So he's, <laughs> so he's rhyming the same word twice. So, look, I'm not bagging the rhyme too much here. but Don't blame the words. But I think with Public Enemy, like the themes that they cover, like putting him on a Prince album, like he's just totally not out of his depth, but like, Lot, kind of lost. It is a weird mix because, like, if Prince says, "Can you rap on my song?" It's like, well, what do you say on a on a Prince album? It, like, Chuck is very political, hmm. he, and, and like, it's it's not that type of track, really. So, you know, I, I can see Chuck kind of just sitting there trying to pen a rap that's and, and he's just struggling. <laughs> I agree with you, player. You should have got you should have you should have got Tony M back in on this one. I think nah. <laughs> it's really missing Mosley. <laughs> I'm waiting for the comeback by Tony M. Nah. <laughs> No, nah, but that's that's what it is. I think you Jim know, Crow remix. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 just Chuck D. He's just like you know he's on there, but like it, it can't be political, and that's what he's best at. Is is like you know really you know reporting what's on the streets, mm. and like it's it's not that kind of track. And so yeah, I think it's just he's just lost on there. Track number three, uh, the greatest romance ever sold. The Captain, what do you think about this track? It's a it's a classic Prince with all his multi-tracking vocals. When it came out, I was like, "This is like the cousin of most beautiful girl in the world." Oh no, you it's stole a, it. It's a very similar. <laughs> it's very similar, just idea and sound, and but I like the song. I like a couple of the remixes too. I think it was was it Jason Nevins or someone did the remixes. Yes, it was. Yeah, I like some of the remixes. Um, but yeah, it's a good song. That's about it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Toe Jam. I had that down as my first point. It's To me, it's it's the minor key version of The Most Beautiful Girl in the World. <laughs> uh, it's got that big layered vocal chorus that sort of repeats throughout. Yeah. It's got the, you know, sort of rotating between the one and the four chord, but obviously major minor, depending on the song. Um, but the melody in this is really striking, I find, the melody of the mm. song, especially when it gets to that descending chords that just keep going down. And he's, yeah. he's doing these big jumps with his voice. It's really interesting. Interesting melody. What do you prefer out of the two? Probably definitely Greatest Romance because Most Beautiful Girl in the World is probably a little possibly slightly commercial for my liking, but we'll get to that. Okay. What I really like in this song and for the album in general is just the interplay between all the instruments. Like when he's singing mm. the verses, after every line, there's like a little answer from some instrument, whether it's a keyboard yeah. riff or a little guitar riff or something. Just a little, like this constant, a little Arabic scale. Yeah, or something. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So it's this it's constant, great. you know, question and answer uh, between the lyrics and and the music, which I find I always love that kind of stuff. Uh, I love all the synth strings in the background, the flutters, the little minor arpeggios that are happening, and there's some really cool vocal effects towards the end where he's uh, talking about can you tell me the reason the reason the reason like that kind of thing yeah yeah, yeah. I don't really that, care for what he's good. talking about but but it I sounds like good effect. it sounds good yeah that's right and I really like the Adam and Eve remix of this yeah almost as good as the album version it's got a cool little rap 
with some of the lyrics from Silicon. Great guitar solo. Mm. My version of Rave, which I've got in my iPod, actually has a version that I made, and I put the guitar solo on the end of the album version. <laughs> Sounds really good. Sounds good. So, yeah, this is uh, an amazing song, an amazing song. Again, I'm not really huge into lyrics. I don't really want to read too much into it, but I just think musically there's a lot happening here. And I think this is a classic example of um, if you're trying to say why Prince is one of the greatest artists of the 20th century, this is one of the tracks I'd sort of put up there, not as his best, but one of the ones I'd use as, as an example to show other people. Wow. High praise. Lots of praise. Very high praise. Uh, player. Okay. Do I think this is a great, solid, skillfully written song? Yes. Do I think it's a great ballad that ranks right up there with these other ballads? Yes. Do I think this should have been the lead single of this album? Hell no. (laughs) Hell no. I'll agree with that. I'll agree with that. (laughs) This is like a quirky, don't know whether he's saying it's over or it's happening or... (laughs) Like to me, Greatest Romance, as good as it is, it isn't strong enough of a track to draw you into the Rave Project. A casual listener could easily mistake its sensuality for being a bit of a sleeper track. And releasing the song as a single and then the video over a month later, it, it loses its momentum. And it showed that on the US Billboard chart. It only, I think it only hit it like 63. Yeah. However, that aside, lyrically brilliant, sonically brilliant, instrumentation and vocal layering and arranging is amazing. Co-written with Mike Scott and the little guitar embellishments all the way through the song is really nice. The way the versus melody steps down the semitone step by step makes it interesting to listen to. Um, mm. It's a real solid track. I'm too also a big fan of the Adam and Eve B-side remix that ended or part ended up on Rave Into. The beat is a little bit harder. It turns the ballad into more of a groove that's reminiscent of uh, Craig Mack's Flavoring Year, as I've mentioned before. Uh, DJ's out there, two great songs you can mix together if you want to give it a go. The rap by Eve and Eve and Prince is decent. I'm a fan of that. To a lesser degree, the Neptune's remix has its moments, namely for the guitar and the Q-tip appearance. Yeah, I like the, the Neptune's remix. one. Yeah. The Jason Nevins remix is too, again, disco-fied for my liking. That could have been a real electro club banger, but it wasn't to be. But amazing, amazing song and a highlight of this album. Woo. All right, I'll finish this song off by just saying that it is a, it's a very good song. And it really gets big points, big props in all areas, in production, in arrangement, in uh, even in lyricism. I, I find it a, a quite poetic, even though I don't quite subscribe to that. The playing is good on it. His singing sounds good. So, yeah, it's a good composition. The Eve rap in both versions is is nice to listen to. But something is missing for me. And I think what it is, probably two things are missing. I would have liked to have heard this song done overboard. I feel like he, you know, he brings in, I'm not sure that it's an Arabic scale, but he did he def, there's definitely a twang to the guitar yeah. or whatever instrument it is that that gives you that kind of arabesque yeah. <laughs> feeling um and there are other elements in there and especially with some of the arpeggios that that kind of evoke a different era or at least a different cultural like a middle eastern element yeah. to the music definitely but what i do feel is that it is a little too subtle, at least for my liking. I, I think that he really could have gone into that, delved into that deeper. Um, maybe get like Omar Hakim to do some live drums on it or something like that. You know, bring in someone playing an oud. Uh, you know, like <laughs> take it back into the around the world in a day kind of um, atmosphere and really kind of blow this one out of the water. 
because all the other elements are there. But if he got some, what's the word I'm thinking of? Kind of uh, genuine, yeah, authenticity. Yeah, some some more authenticity instead of doing most of it himself and just having Mike Scott on the guitar and you know Kirk A. Johnson on the drum programming. It, I can see that because you remember at the time when he was performing this in Europe on TV shows and stuff. Like he's always wearing all these robes and this kind of thing. And, mm. yeah. So he he obviously understood the theme, you know, the themes and the context and the, and some of the musical ideas that he that he was performing and that he was infusing into the song. But I would I would just love to see him perform this with an like literally with an, with Arabic musicians and do something that he's never really done, which is collaborate intensely with other artists and even more intensely than that with other cultures. But I, I can't criticize and someone. Uh, to the nth degree, I'm, all I'm saying is that it would have been nice. And that's why I think that this song falls in the department of memorability because it comes off as a meticulously done in every department other than authenticity. I think it could have been much more authentic. So that's my um, point on that. Okay, let's go to track number four, which is Hot With You. No, it's not. We're not going to review the silence. Ooh. I love the two I want to. Okay, let's review the sag first in that case. Track four on the disc is an amount of silence. And I want to know if, I mean, people say it's a tribute to Miles Davis, but has Prince actually said that himself? Yes. It's in the the booklet that comes with the album. Oh, it's in the booklet. Okay. Then I still wonder why, you know, Miles died in 91. Yes. Why would you you wait eight years to do a four-second tribute of silence? (laughs) I don't understand that. Yeah, I I have that same question. Well, my theory on it is that I think, you know, because The Greatest Romance is such a big kind of song in the album. Yeah, you need that It needed, that, sil- it, it needed yeah. that little bit of silence between the two tracks. And yes. so I think he always intended to have that silence. And then, I don't know, right at the last minute, he's like, well, you know, Miles Davis was famous for using space in his music. So let's oh. dedicate that to Miles. So. But I'm not a big fan of the seg- like the actual having it as a track. It's just annoyance hmm. on the disc, which I is just- good that we have iPods and things these days. We can get rid of that. Yeah, I, I personally don't have it in mind, but yeah. You know what really annoys me too? People saying iPod. It's like saying Walkman. It's a brand, it's a brand name. It's an MP3 player. All right. I'll say all right. MP3 player and edit it in. MP3 player. MP3 player. <laughs> for all the times I've said it. MP3 player. I don't own a freaking iPod and I never Actually, will. Actually, no, that's not right. That's not right. I can't say MP3 player because I don't have any MP3s. Oh, what are they, AC3 or some crap? Bloody no. Apple... They're shit Apple, files? They're, they're just lossless, lossless sound files. What, Ace? Bloody I can't Ace? remember. It's, it's a lossless encoder that I use because I don't, I don't play lossy music. Anyway. Oh, can't stand bloody iPods. Okay, so uh, after the, the um, Johnny Cage's four seconds dedicated to Miles Davis, <laughs> we've got uh, <laughs> Hot With You. What do you guys think of this track? Any fans out there? Yes. Well, I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it. You go first. Captain, Captain, you go first. You haven't been first yet. All right, Captain, go. I went first with the greatest romance. Okay, stop you then. I'm taking it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This is one of my guilty pleasures, this song. What? I know a lot of people don't like it. (laughs) I like Um, it. I just, I don't know. What I really like about it is um, the contrast between... The sort of upbeat upbeatness of the beat and the chorus, but then he's just singing it really lazily, and I just think it's mm. really like, eh, I'm just the greatest thing, and it's just I find it really hilarious to hear. 
And I, I love the bubbly synth bass throughout. Just sort of changes constantly. It sounds to me like he's just improvised it in one or two takes, the bass line, and it's just left in there. Like he could have just looped it once and then just keep playing the same loop, but he hasn't. He's, he's like every time it goes around, it's a little bit different. And um, Bloody noise. I love the like piano accordion keyboard stabs on beat one. Like, then it just, you know, stabs like someone stabbing you in the back. It's cool. And I also really like Eve's rap. Uh, I think it's cool. The line in particular, I'm supposed to tremble because they call you the artist. It's yeah. like, it's, a real, it's Prince taking the mickey out of himself. Tongue in cheek, yeah. yeah. Tongue in cheek, exactly. So that's why I really like this song. Like, if you're taking this song seriously, uh, you've got a problem, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and the horns, the horns in this song at the end when they come in, it's like a big climate. Really cool, simple line. So, like I said, Guilty pleasure of mine. I really don't like the Nasty Girl remix. I think it's just a... <gasps> oh, no. <laughs> it's just a, a lame remix. To me, it's just... Eh, I don't know what he's done with it. It's just sort of goes nowhere and he's changed a few things for the sake of changing some things. But, so, oh, yeah, no. the Nasty Girl rem- remix is definitely like disabled. <laughs> Eve says in the rap, I think. <laughs> okay. All right. I've got literally like a sentence on this. So if you guys don't mind, I'll squeeze in between everyone and just say both of these versions are quite good. I like them. I don't take them seriously. I do like the Nasty Girl remix simply because of the fact that it uses that Nasty Girl sample. And yeah. and, I, and I think it's cool to kind of, um, I don't know, I've always liked that, that vocal line out mm. of the Nasty Girl song. And I, I prefer hearing this in like an updated beat than in the in the old early 80s track because it's just kind of like lo-fi where it's just like a hi-fi version almost of that but obviously a very different song and the other thing i'll say is just a quick note here on hot with you and on some of the other stuff in the into booklet in the rave into booklet it talks about or it mentions drum programming as kirk johnson in in some of the tracks this is one of them now, I kind of like the drum programming in this and in Greatest Romance, which again is attributed to Kirk Johnson, and in Man of War. And I think the drum programming is very Prince-like. But if that's Kirk, big, massive props to Kirk, one of the greatest <laughs> drum programmers of, of the modern music era. So I'll just finish on with that. I can't say to that, I think a lot of the songs that are attributed to drum programming, I think it's Prince like, look, here's the beat, and then scatting it to him or playing it to him. Here's the beat, you program it. You program it. So (laughs) I I don't know whether he's actually, I don't know, maybe he is, maybe he's originating them. But to me, I always feel like, no, it's Prince has come up with the beat. Maybe I'm too biased towards Prince, but it's like Prince has come up with the beat and he's turned around to Kirk and say, can you program that into a computer for me? Yeah, well, look, Prince produced a booklet or at least had was happy to have it published that way. So I'm giving Kirk Johnson, this is Peach and Black shouting out to Kirk Johnson for some amazing drum production on Raven to the Joy Fantastic and Into the Joy Fantastic. I think Kirk Johnson deserves a lot more credit. So um, there you go. Hey, I want to say something about Kirk Johnson. Because, yeah, during this era and the whole, I guess, from emancipation to this era, he got a lot of flack. My personal take on Kirky J, I think he is a very good beat maker and producer and remixer, but I don't think his sound necessarily ends with Prince's sound. That's mm. just my take on it. But I think he's good in what he does, but it just doesn't work in the Prince sort of mold. And the second thing about beat making and stuff with Kirky J, I get the impression that Prince gave Kirky a lot of freedom to, to sort, of, sort of sit in the studio and come up with beats. And I think maybe Prince just walks in and goes, yeah, I like this that you've done. I like that. I'll use that. I'll use this. So that's yeah. Yeah, Prince might come in and say, "Oh, look, you know, I want to do a, a slow song. Have you got some slow beats there for me?" That yeah, kind yeah. Of thing. 
Mm. Yeah, so that, that's my take on Hot With You. Um, who wants this one now, player? Okay, Hot With You. Again, around this era, I was a big fan of Eve from her time on the Roots track, You Got Me, and being the first lady of Rough Riders with DMX and his crew, uh, Swiss Beats production, first female rapper to debut at number one, only a couple of months before Rave's release. Um, she was really, really hot in the hip-hop scene at this time. And again, even though I was a fan, I think Prince's sound and a Rough Rider sound was totally different. So I was interested to see how and if the collaboration would work and her contribution is strong but everything else is weak for me production wise the Kirky J drum machine on this particular track is too sterile and metallic sounding um, it doesn't strike any chord with me and even though I love the live horns normally I think this song should have used more dirty electro sounding keyboards than live horns Prince's vocal delivery as Tojan mentioned is interesting is strange some of the lyrics has its moments, like um, the dancing in front of the head in front of my headlights on a hot summer night. I really like that. I can um, I can just imagine that happening easily. Um, <laughs> but overall, I really like it, the vocal effect on that those lines as well. Yeah, I don't know whether it's layered or just some weird effect. A weird effect, yeah. But overall, it doesn't quite mesh together for me. But I mean, that's got to do with the choice of instrumentation more than anything. Hmm. Also, reviving the nasty girl lyrics for the remix. Um, I like the record scratching in the remix. I think it was quite interesting him reviving Nasty Girl considering like like this period he was getting into the Jehovah stuff and I think it's quite interesting he's using like those sort of lyrics from his past into like a current song so that's it a bit, bit of a hit or miss this track for me okay that's me he mentions underneath the cream in this song mm. there you go <laughs> I don't have a lot to say do you like the song, yes or no? I like it. I'd like the Nasty Girl remix more. I like the video even more than that. I think it was through MPG Music Club. They put out the video. Oh, not even the whole song. I think it's just like a minute and a half of the video. Yeah, I don't have a lot to say about this song. I think it's a tie between the album, you know, the Unto and Into version. The Into version has got these bells all the way through it, which... They just yeah. got. They've got this reverb, which just goes the whole track, and it's really annoying. But yeah. bells from, remind me of Irresistible Bitch. Oh, yeah, yeah, I can hear that. Apart from that, I like the Nasty Girl one remix more. Except, I think I do as well. Except for the bells. Except you could do without the bells. But Nasty Girl, it just fits so good into this song. And it, w- it was good to hear it again. And that's it. Okay. I think we finished up on Hot With You, but I'll just mention one thing. Since what we're two songs in, or three songs, four, four, four songs in, but second, third, and fourth song on this album have contributions from other artists, mostly uh, raps, actually, if not all raps. And it just got me thinking as we're recording, this album came out on Arista, right? Yes. I spent a fair bit of time into production of this album. Prince obviously did a lot of work on it. They must have got or sent out invitations to a large cavalry of artists. Clive Davis is on this, Supernatural Santana, all that kind of good stuff, right? Now, I'm just thinking, why couldn't they have added some of the Arista, some more of the artists that were on on the Arista label that I personally think would have made potentially much better work, least of which Carlos Santana. Hello? (laughs) He's the Mm. biggest. How do you miss that? (laughs) Like, he comes out with the biggest album of the year. He's in the spotlight. We keep mentioning how that was one of the biggest moments in in Arista's history. Maybe Prince didn't want to make it too obvious. Well, if putting him on there, then it'd be like... 
a definite like red flag saying this is supposed to be like a supernatural type of yeah potentially uh, maybe, yeah maybe Santana didn't want to do it because he'd already done all those collaborations uh, yeah which is probably less likely since he spent the 10 years following that record doing just that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean you had all sorts of from memory isn't that Babyface is on there oh there's uh, one thing not to forget the ego yeah, the ego, but no, you know, no one can be bigger than bigger than himself. So that could have been a factor. Fair enough, but you've got Taylor Dane, I think, was on a wrist. I know, Babyface, uh, Whitney uh, Houston, Tony Braxton. Oh, um, Whitney Houston would have been a classic. <laughs> she was making a comeback that year with that album. Was she? Yeah, oh, there, I don't know. There, I'm sure there were a lot of other artists that that could have potentially been on this album. So it's just a. Just a point to make. Uh, Annie Lennox wasn't she on there? <laughs> that would have been Hugh Masekela. I mean, he would have been an interesting, huh? interesting trumpet edition. Uh, I believe he was on there for for a few years around that time. Outcast. No, that would have been a good collaboration. That would have been he, good. He's on the remix, but he's not on the actual album. Uh, I don't know. Just something to consider. So, uh, what's track number five? Tangerine. Tangerine. Track six. Can I? Well, okay. <laughs> fifth, the fifth actual song. Uh, I'll just take this very, very quickly because I, I really, really like this song. It's one of the best songs on the album for me, even though it's one of the shortest. And it, I, I can see how most people could see, could say, I should say, you know, this is just a throwaway. There's not much to it. Nothing, not, not much happens. But I like it for those reasons. It's got a really cool melody and it's very ambiguous, the definition of the song. And it's like a, a nice little pop ditty. But what really makes this track stand out for me is it's got a quality to it. It's got a quality to the way it's recorded. I like the way that the sounds are recorded. I like what I believe is Rhonda's bass on the song. And if it isn't, it very much sounds like her, uh, like a fretless. The extended version, really, which is much, much better than the original, just for the guitar solo. He really packs a punch into less than two and a half minutes. I like this. I always listen to it and think, oh, this is this is a really nice tune. Anyway, that's my take on it. So uh, who wants this? Toe Jam. Yeah, I agree with most of what you say. Uh, it sounds very fresh to me. And um, I remember reading somewhere, someone said it was a, a precursor to the Rainbow Children sound. And I can kind of see that because mm. even though it is slightly programmed with some of the beats, I think, it does have a kind of organic kind of feel to it with the acoustic guitars and bongos and that kind of thing it's a like you said it's a real nice mix of things it's a pretty melody it's a sunday afternoon stoop song mm. uh if you know reflection lots of subtle percussion going on if you actually just concentrate on the percussion it's is actually like it's kind of fast which is interesting when you listen to the song as a whole because it's you wouldn't say it's a fast song i think it's criminal that the un- unto version didn't have the full version although maybe it wasn't recorded that way uh, originally but Definitely the into version for this again for that guitar solo and that big climactic ending. It just sort of opens up and yeah, it's like you know you're breathing out a big a breath of air kind of thing. So yeah, really nice little little song. Okay, Captain. This song I like that it's short. It's a nice simple track. I like it's short, so he hasn't got much time to screw it up. He hasn't got time. <laughs> he hasn't got like six and a half minutes. He hasn't got six and a half minutes to just you know pile it up with excess fat. That didn't need to be on there. Mm. It's good. I like it. It's short. I don't wish it was longer because I know. I think I know what would happen if it was. That's all. Well, when the extended version is is like 
two and a bit minutes long. <laughs> That's mm. saying a lot. Player. Uh, I agree with you guys. I like it. It's a nice, short and sweet song. But at the end of it, I'm always like, what the hell was that? Only because where it's positioned on the album, it's instrumentation, which is sort of out of kilter with the rest of the album and its length. So for me, even though it's a nice track, I think it was put on the wrong project. I think it would have suited on uh, on something different. When I listen to it, I get the impression that Rave's initial intention was to be a bit like some of the times where there's a variety of styles and for whatever reason, this was kept on there. But mm. I really like it, but I don't, I don't, know, I don't like it on this album. I think it was grouped with other albums, maybe on The Truth or even Rainbow Children, either side of that. I would have liked it. But on this album, it's, it's, it's just a bit strange on there. But anyway, that's it. Okay. Uh, and that takes us into Believe So Far, So Pleased. So far, so far, so far, so pleased. Yes. Yes. Okay. Captain, you digging this song? I like this song. Because it's the it's the big pop song, so it's got to be good. Hmm. This song, I'm annoyed that it wasn't a single. It would have been a good single. Hmm. But there's a, there was a rumor that No Doubt's label refused because their No Doubt's album was just about to come out and they thought, you know, consumers are so stupid they won't understand that it's not on the album. <laughs> That's interesting. It's just ridiculous. The only problem is, you know, this is supposedly a collaboration, but... <laughs> it's like, yeah. let's record a duet, and then when we mix it, I'll just push you way back to back in the <laughs> that we can just barely hear, and that's a duet. That's Prince's idea of a duet, <laughs> which is it's just great. I love it. She it's, is audible. Oh, but just. <laughs> so just but it, it, but it's, it's not like a collaboration. Yeah. If no one had told you that Gwen Stefani was on this track, there's no way you'd... Yeah, you'd have up. no idea. You're right. You might think, oh, yeah. You'd never know. Because Gwen came on this song, didn't he go on a song on their next album? Mm. Yeah. What what was that? Waiting Room. That's the one. I like song. that song too. Which I like is, that Which song. is a good track, yeah. That whole album actually is quite good. I like that Waiting Room song. I really like the guitar riff that goes... It's from 158 to 213. You listen to it, you'll know it. He's used it before and he'll use it again. <laughs> it always it always works. It's, 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 it's a classic in his little guitar riff repertoire. Hey, he, he uses part of that riff going back all the way to Let's Go Crazy. So, yeah, it, yeah, it is a very well-known. It's a good one. Uh, that's about it. Yeah. I'll, I, this is this is in my top three or four of this album. Okay. Player? Uh, I agree with Captain. It's a nice track. It's a shame Gwen's vocal contribution is more of a backing vocal and mixed really low in the mix than an actual duet with Prince, but we'll take it as it is. The highlight for me in, in the guitar is at that two minute 13 mark where the guitar really starts to um, soar in the solo it's very very nice but apart mm. from that I don't have a lot to say about this track so I'll hand it over yeah I don't I don't really have too much to say about this either so before we go to Toe Jam the only thing else I'll add is that I'm not really a, a fan of this song <gasps> only because it doesn't speak to me it doesn't really say anything it's very very pop light pop diddy mm, uh, dum diddy do and um yeah, there's just not a lot, you know, it, there's not much on the surface and there's certainly not a whole lot going on when you when you go any deeper. Hmm. Uh, if you dig a little deeper, there's not much more to it. And if this wasn't on the album, uh, I wouldn't even notice, really. Not too memorable. The guitar is cool. And the guitar in this song is cool in the same way that the guitar in Cyber Single is cool, which is one of my oh, yeah. um, yeah. um, favorite throwaway tracks. 
because I don't think it should have ever been a throwaway. <laughs> Which is from about the same time as well. Yeah, seems to be from the same era. And I love the guitar that he was putting on songs there, but I don't, I don't quite think it, it matches the kind of synthetic beat, uh, drum beats that he's using here in programming, even though it's supposedly live drums, which it, which it, it is, but it, I don't know, it just sounds a bit... This is the one that, where Michael B's playing drums, supposedly. So he? yeah. he's credited on the album. And, he, you know, obviously he didn't play with Prince from... 96 till 2005 or something again yeah, no, so I think I, I think s- that the song was recorded or the drum beat anyway was recorded some years ago yes yeah, so, so, so far so please is actually credited to um Kirk Johnson oh okay well, what's yeah. uh, Michael Blair I think baby ba- ba- baby ba- knows yeah baby oh. knows is um it's the other track so you know what else is good on this song that I like is that the harmonies that they sing just in the the verses that's all mm. yeah I, I never thought I'd say this about a Prince song but this sounds like something that Avril Lavigne would would come out with, and for, the, for ah. that very reason, I'm not a fan of it. But uh, let's take it to Toe Jam to round it out. Yeah, it probably is. Oh no, there's definitely one more that I don't like. Uh, it's, it's probably my second least favorite song on the album. Oh um, but it's not terrible. It's a really cliche four chord pop rock song. I've got the same thing that a lot of you guys have got. It definitely should have been a lead single just yeah. for the fact that I know three or four friends that aren't even Prince fans in their own right, but they have this song because they like the song and they like the fact that Gwen Stefani's on it. So to me, that's like, you know, if I know people that aren't Prince fans that, that like this song, that's got to be the lead single, I think, if you want to make a big, you know, supernatural kind of success. Mm. Yeah. So that was definitely a missed opportunity. I will talk to No Doubt's label, whoever they yeah. are. I never knew that though. I, you know, you sort of just assumed that it was Prince's fault, but yeah, that's no. It was, it was just before No Doubt's whatever album was going to come out, and they're like, "Oh no, you can't, you can't put that out as a single." Okay, people are too dumb to understand politics. Yeah, one bit I do like the guitar bit in the middle. It kind of reminds me of a very watered down Computer Blue for about twenty mm. seconds. But uh, <laughs> I don't like you know when it goes to that big breakdown. It sounds like clap your hands, everybody. You know, Avril Lavigne, Avril Lavigne. Yeah, a little bit, but you know, it's not terrible. Yeah, that's all I got to say. Okay. So from so far, so pleased to the sun, the moon, and stars. The sun, the Are there any reggae fans in the house? Hmm. <laughs> I'll just, I'll just say. Captain, all, just oh, take oh. this. Take the song. All I have to say about this is three words, and that's all I'm going to say about this song. Most skippable track. <laughs> that is that's the dagger through my heart I've that, got yeah, nothing I've got nothing else to say about it that's a big call uh, considering the song we've just reviewed <laughs> next wow wow player I'll say three words hmm. Claire Fisher Strings now we're talking now we're starting to talk definitely highlight Definitely highlight. Even though I think they're samples, I don't think it's actually written for this track. I think he's gone into the vault and just taken samples. I don't think it was a dedicated written for the song, but I could just really pretty uh, amazing considering that you can just pick that out and make it sound so mm, seamless. Seamless. Yeah. Yeah. I could do without the fake Jamaican style rap, um, <laughs> but the groove with the finger snaps and the keyboard pads make it a decent R and B track. The bell chimes are also a nice touch in the middle of the song just before the rap. But every time I hear it, and this is going to sound really strange, but it reminds me of Piffy the Bell Ringer from Potluck in the eighties. <laughs> <laughs> If you don't know what I'm talking about, especially people overseas, Google it or look it up on YouTube. Piffy the Bell. Piffy. Yeah. But all in all, it's a nice track. But that Jamaican rap, I mean, get rid of it. Piffy. <laughs> come on, come on. Oh, God. Now, I think 
I don't like the rap either, but I think that it is as tongue-in-cheek as the Hot With You rap and some of the other lyrics and themes on this album. I, I really don't think they're supposed to be taken seriously. It's, it is reggae light. There's nothing authentic about this either. And again, this is why I think, for the same reasons why Greatest Romance wasn't particularly memorable and particularly authentic that's exactly the reason why you know if if this would have had some sly and robbie production on it for oh, anyway yeah 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 he's starting to to <laughs> yeah to see what I'm what I'm what might yeah. have come out of it so yeah. that's my main issue with this is that the idea is quite interesting especially f- uh, certainly beats Rip Hop Go to Zipper but the production no no that's a better track than this the, the production is a bit um half baked yeah that's a great way to put it but there are plenty of great things in. You've mentioned all of them, so I won't repeat them. The only thing that I will add is I actually think that um, his vocal is is really cool. Just throughout the song, from the beginning, a the, minus the falsetto. The yeah, the falsetto is really, yeah. really nice. Yeah. And uh, it does suit the track. It's a sweet song. Uh, let's let Toe Jam round this out. Uh, I really like this song. It's a dagger through my heart when Captain says something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I've got here, yeah, the Claire Fisher strings. It kind of gives it that parade Mia Bocca kind of sound. Yep. Uh, once again, a really stunning melody. Uh, the big jumps in the chorus. Uh, again, the interplay between the, the synth bass and sort of a theme throughout the album that he, it's a lot more synth bass than guitar bass to me. And there's some really nice moments in there. Other than the come on, come on bit, I actually really like the rap. I like the way it builds, and then right at the end, you know, you'll come like a cold winter dew in Montreal, and then he's just got like this big four or five part harmony to finish that last one. Uh, really good, really good. And I like the way the song finishes too. It sort of fades, and it's almost like you're, you know, you've had your big day on the Jamaican island, and you're falling asleep now in front of the girl kind of thing. So, <laughs> yeah, and I, again, I really like the finger snap. It's really sublime beat, uh, similar to Tangerine, and that you know, there's a lot happening in the beat, but the song's not really. You wouldn't say it's a fast song. So yeah, Sun, the Moon, and Stars is a really nice song. Is don't, this... you, don't you think it would have benefited from some live drums though? Um, potentially. I don't know. I like I like the beat that's there. So. Yeah, I like the pattern. Okay. And the fact that he's using finger snaps instead of like a snare. Did they it's... play this at Mont? Finger Montreux? snaps are cool. No, no, no. no it was. But he did play this recently, didn't yeah. he? Yeah, I think no. it might have been in after Montreal went somewhere. He never played this. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure, he did. No, no. Oh, not sure. at oh no, no, no. That's um. I love you, but I don't trust you anymore, I think. Yeah. No, no, yeah. he played this somewhere recently, like 2009. Wow. Sure. Yeah, I remember. I, I think I it was one of the Nokia shows he played it. Ah, uh, maybe, maybe. Yeah, there you go. Now we go into a cover song. Every day is a winding road. Oh, yeah. And I disliked this cover so much that I deleted it off my iPod. Oh, and I've got, I've got nothing to say about it. Wow. <laughs> Lame-o. Oh. So uh, how about Captain? You can take this one away. Okay. Like. I am a big fan of remakes that surpass the original. This is, not, this, is, this is not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a very different take from very the different. original Sheryl Crow version. So it's... Hard to give him credit for giving it a go. Yeah, it's hard to review it without comparing it, but yeah, you can try. But I don't mind this version just as a song by itself. Some people, you know, it's called. I've seen it called an abomination. I think that's that's a bit strong. I mean, you 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 look up abomination in the dictionary. (laughs) It it doesn't have this song listed there. (laughs) 
but some people think it should. But the no, one it's thing that I, purple and gold is listed under that title. <laughs> the thing I don't get all through this track is airplane noises. It's really distracting to me. Apart from that, I, I don't mind the song at all. There's lots of little things in there you can listen to on headphones, but the airplane noises just I, I agree, Captain. It, it's a very turbulent listen. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Okay, that's all. Player? Um, Every Day is a Winding Road by Cheryl Crow. I used to see that video all the time on MTV around 1998 when when they were actually still playing videos on MTV. Yeah, but I, back, I didn't in the, really, back in the olden days. Yeah, exactly. We're showing the age now. Um, <laughs> But I didn't really think much of it. And But when the Prince version came out, I liked the Cheryl Crow version more. I mean, let's face it, it's a novelty track. It really is. It's more of a disco style remake than like a real electro club banger. So for me, it's a good song, but it's it's not that great. All right, and Toe Jam? Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of it. It's just the songs, like I know I've said that you give him credit for giving it a go, but for me, what made the original so good was that it was kind of laid back. And this one just comes across a little bit too forced. It's like he's trying to take one thing and turn it into a, a Larry Graham funk fest. <laughs> and it uh, just doesn't quite You love your point. mother? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And the bell chimes throughout it just... <laughs> They just sound, I don't know, it just doesn't work. It's like, why are you putting bell chimes in every day as a winding road? It's like, I don't know. There is a really funky bit at 4.55. It only goes, some, yeah, there are some it only goes for like 10 seconds, but listen to that. It's every, very, every it's, day it's a winding listen. That's it's, about it's, all I can say. It's but very, I just find there's, there's just too much happening and yeah. it's just not the right song to do it with. There's too much of not enough. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, it's not an abomination, but. It's definitely the most skippable track on the album. And then there's a sag. Which is... Yeah, what is that? It's, it's, uh, it's the it's Clay Fisher Orchestra. But oh, it's okay. credited as MPG Orchestra. Because, yeah, I, I, lo- I, like I heard sag. that today and I'm like, it sounds very similar to the... The interlude at the Love Sexy concert. It's just the same sort of thing. Which they, um, is, is that called Cross the Line? Yeah. yeah. Was it? it could have they, been taken straight out of that and you wouldn't even know. They do use that SAG on the um, Rave DVD at some point. I can't put my finger on exactly where, but I'm sure it's on there somewhere. Yeah, but the right. question's got to be asked, if it's Claire Fisher Orchestra, why is it credited as MPG Orchestra? Like, I assume that there was like some sort of falling out and like he couldn't you know, contact Claire Fisher or collaborate with him. And so he's just used what he's got in the vault and... What he's legally allowed to use. (laughs) I I would assume so. Because I just think it was just interesting it's credited as MPG Orchestra, but anyway. Well, the other thing is that he could have bought... If Prince bought the rights of Claire Fisher to use those recordings, there might have been the possibility there for him to rename ownership as he saw fit, so... Yeah. Maybe well, yeah, if, yeah, if he actually the bought them, then there is to do whatever he wants with. He bought the seven disc sample set. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is. New funk from Claire Fisher. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and we all know that Claire Fisher and Prince should really collaborate on a symphonic show, but we'll leave that to another show <laughs> in 2011. Let's go into the next track Man of War. Why you screaming? And please, guys, if this is a favorite of anyone here, don't shoot me. I'm just oh. the, the host. But I, re- <laughs> I really want to take a grab at this first up. So I'll just go into my thoughts on Man of War or Man of War. This is a brilliant song. This is one of the best, not if not the best song on, on the album. Where do I begin? 
from the very first note to the last, it is a masterpiece. Um, Yeah, just it has an amazing story to start with. And it's one of those tracks that while you're listening to it, the effect of the music is so in tune with what he's actually singing about that this is why, you know, that's the main reason that this makes Man of War such a great song as opposed to So Far So Pleased or any number of other uh, fairly average tracks. But getting back to this song, it's the emotion, it's the intent, it is in every nook and cranny from the beat, which is brilliant, to the bass playing, which is brilliant, and it's minimal yet effective, to the strings, which which are just sublime. I mean, Claire Fisher, ever since 1985, you know, this was what, 14 years later this came out, after the Around the World in the Day album, and those strings just sound as vital and as brilliant as ever. The guitar solo, guys, talk about timing. The, the song leads up into the most extraordinary breakthrough when the guitar comes into it. It just opens up the song. It's Some a very the, pink cashmere kind of solo, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, it is. Or like a pink cashmere or a crucial or even a um, I Hate You in a, a very different solo, I guess. But yeah, it's that kind of Moments. volcanic eruption towards the end of the track. And his voice does that as well. It's brilliant. The screams are brilliant. And this is just an amazing composition. So uh, if there are any, anyone else who likes this track, I'll put it over to you. <laughs> Pile on now. Uh, I'll take it. Wow, I, I really like the song too. I possibly wouldn't go as far as you go. To me, it sounds like it's potentially a leftover from Emancipation. It sounds to me like it would have fit that album better, especially on that disc too with all those ballads. I don't want to get into his personal life, but potentially this one and Greatest Romance, potentially the first kind of signs that you know his marriage with Maite weren't, wasn't. Yeah. Uh, this, uh, this, uh, the best part of the song for me is uh, some of the gospel vocals throughout. It's, it reminds me of a door uh, when he's going, if enough I tried to, tried to, that kind of thing. Oh, that's uh, one of my favorite parts yeah, of that song. Yeah, that's an amazing part. And some really subtle horns in there, some muted horns just in the background, very nice. I don't mind the remix. I think it's it's good for something different, but I don't think it comes close to matching the Unto version. Yeah, really solid, interesting song. Captain. Oh, do you really want me to talk? Player. <laughs> I'm going to be with Captain probably. Oh, okay. Oh, okay then. I'll go then. To me, this is just, it's hard to say. To me, it's an average R&B track with some hints of brilliance. It's not a great track. I think it's an average track, but there's bits in there which are really good. Like, Toe Jam must hear the same things I heard. Like, there's shades of a door in there with the horns and the vocals. The remix... The only grip that this track had on me is totally lost in the remix, which is don't like the remix. I'm surprised actually because, like, when you read online, I, I sort of think that the general consensus is that the remix is better. But so far, three out of three, we've said we've said that it's not. So. No, the re- the remix is uh, pales in comparison. I think. Yeah, but yeah, I think it's an average track. But you can tell he's borrowed sections from older tracks, and they they fit in there, and they make the song better. They make an average song slightly more than average, I think. Play it. Okay, I think the most intriguing thing about this song is its lyrics. And when I listen to the song, it makes me wonder who the song was written about or who it was inspired by. Me. I think Toad Jam touched <laughs> on that. 
there. Um, Music-wise, it doesn't do much for me. I usually press skip when it comes on. The only thing I like is the chorus to a degree. I, I mean, I like those lyrics where it says, um, you know, break the gold chain I gave you, throw it down on the floor. It's, it gives you like a really good visual of, you know, the heartache and, and all that that's sort of expressed in the song. But again, it's not a song that should have been considered as a single, I think, especially on the back of Greatest Romance, like having like two ballads. Two you know. potentially depressing ballads too. Well, yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's even though I'm not really a big fan of So Far So Please, I think I agree with you guys that that should have been a better choice, but I'll leave it at that. We've said this before and I'm sure we'll say it again. Stop letting him choose the singles. <laughs> Let somebody else. I think ballads are valid singles, but not as first singles. Yeah. It it depends what the ballad is. I mean, The Most Beautiful Girl in the World was one of his biggest ballads and probably one of his biggest ever songs, and that worked. So I think ever since then. Yeah. But I think to draw attention into a project, you've got to have something upbeat and then then go for the, um, yeah, the panty song. I guess that's that's if if radio plays what you're getting at, but you know, Prince himself might have a very different idea of that. I just want to say that, I mean, Man of War... Again, you brought up the lyrics, and I'll, I'll make this very quick, but even the first paragraph, which I'll very quickly read, why are you screaming, you know I'm not a man of war, break the gold chain that I gave you, throw it down on the floor. Instead of this seven-page letter, I wish I had peace of mind. My friends tell me you should go get her, but loving you is a waste of time. I think that's great. That's a great... I mean, in one paragraph, he says more in that one paragraph than some of the a few of the other songs combined, I think. Yes. And that's just one paragraph. So, obviously... Um, he had something to say. Had something to say, and he said it, so... Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a brilliant track. And from that, we go into Michael B. on the drums with Baby Nose. Any takers? Player? Uh, I think it's good, but not great. Again, having a guest star as essentially as a backing vocalist doesn't really make a difference if you have Sheryl Crow on there or not. It doesn't really excite me, this track. It's too contained and measured for my liking. That's another cowbell song. That's <laughs> about it for me. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, like, I mean, it, it's great that they got Michael B. back on there, but, you know, he's not really doing the big drum fills. or It's, it's just straight two and four. Like, I mean, they could have had anyone, even El Koki J doing that. Prince could have drummed on that. Exactly. So, you know... That's the thing. It doesn't really excite me, the, the song. So that's about it. Okay. Captain? I like this song. It's up there with the best songs on the album. But I don't have that much to say about it. It's just a good song. It's funky and it's poppy. And the extended version on Into has got a cool little guitar solo. But it's just a cool song. Yeah. Okay. Toe Jam? Yeah, I like the song as, as well. It's definitely not my favorite on the album. It, it is a little bit by numbers, a little bit. But I like the way he's trying to go for that let's go crazy sound. Like it's got that Minneapolis synths, but then it's got the big rock sound behind it too. I really, I much prefer the live versions, the TV live versions that he did. Although the album version is not really that different, I suppose. It, it is somewhat forgettable. I can't quite put my finger on it, but it, it's just, it's like, you know, it's a good song. You like elements of it, but it's just something that I don't really feel I need to go back to. So I don't know, maybe the stuff ain't brown on this song too well. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't come out right. But. Nah. Stuff is brown, you mean? Stuff is brown. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Baby knows. Interesting lyrics, I have to say. I, I do like the lyrics. She got the butt that go round, the kind of poochie make you beg. 
turn a dog into a hound. But don't you think it's strange that Cheryl Crow is singing those lines as well? It, and it's but what's even stranger is that she's if if Stefani was barely audible, then Cheryl Cheryl Crow is barely in the mix, isn't she? Yeah. And no, I've completely th- forgotten Cheryl Crow was even on this track until he mentioned it a second ago. I was like, oh yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Which, um, you know, says saying, saying something. And her perfume, it smells like the weekend. Ah, oh, okay. Um, but yeah, no, it does have some some interesting lyrics. She stroked me up and never down. I, I just like that line. <laughs> <laughs> so there's some funny prints in there. Venezuelan uh, black and pretty, the kind that make you want to pay. You know, it's it's pretty cool in that way. The two letdowns for me on this song are um, number one when they would perform this on t- like I've seen some of the TV appearances from the late from '99 and and all that era, and uh, knowing that on the album, Mike, even though it's like you said two and four, Kirky J was drumming on this, and I thought he never really brought it. Whereas maybe if Michael B was in that same seat, he might you know, go a little bit ape on the song and, and really tear the, tear the roof off. The other thing I, I want to say is that I reckon that this song, and just stick with me on this, Baby Knows performed by the 95-era NPG, I reckon would have torn the house down for some reason, maybe in a different arrangement. But this, it kind of has the potential to be a real rocker, but it doesn't on the album. And I can't put my foot on, on what it is, maybe if it was rearranged and potentially even recomposed slightly. I think some of the chords are just a bit too, like player said, a bit too measured, a bit too predictable. And he's using very, very standard chord changes here. So, you know, they, they appear in, what, thousands of pop songs, uh, or rock pop songs anyway. Uh, and the other thing that lets me down on, on this, which isn't nothing to do with the album, but on the rave DVD, the concert DVD, he plays The Greatest Romance, a really bland version of The Greatest Romance. And then he goes into this. He says, do you want to hear another new one? The crowd goes relatively <laughs> crazy. <laughs> Let's go relatively crazy. And then he put straps on the guitar. He does this song, but he doesn't play a note. <laughs> I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> Maceo does a little solo. He's doing Baby Nose with a guitar wrapped around his neck. But that's like a, strum a single note. That's like when they do Glam Slam on the Love yeah. Sexy um, oh, video. The acoustic guitar. It's got the acoustic guitar. He doesn't. Same thing. He doesn't play a note. It's just so pointless. But I mean, this was even more pointless because at least there he's like dancing around and it looks kind of trippy. Here he's just anyway. Who plays so, the harmonica? Is that Cheryl Crow? Yes. Yeah. If you can hear it. Uh, oh, it starts the don't song. Don't you hate it when they when they did it live? Um, they had Morris Hayes doing the triggering the sample. Yeah. But then pretending he was actually playing it. <laughs> <laughs> although, Mr. Although, Hayes is always a comedian. <laughs> this, uh, I should finish the review of Baby Knows by saying that um, the performance of this song from the German show, and yeah, I can't remember what it's called, is one of my favorite Prince TV performances of all time. I remember watching that on the MPG Music Club, and there's just cool factor, freezer burn. Absolute freezer burn. <laughs> it's got the glasses on, the band's rocking it, he starts it off with a nice solo, and then all sorts of things, like the little dog howling or whatever it is. <laughs> and um, and uh, my favorite part has to be where um, they go into one of the breaks and uh, he puts his foot over the guitar and just plays a few notes yeah. and gets that on the floor. And they're all rocking and, and, and the end comes up to the camera and it's just one of those really like defining late 90s era performances so I thought I'd put that in there if anyone else you guys remember that? Yeah Yeah I think I know the one you're talking about mm. He's wearing like a bodysuit <laughs> So uh, okay after that we go into the next track which is I Love You But I Don't Trust You Anymore I love you 
Alexander Ballard. And um, uh, who wants to lead this off? How about Toe Jam? If you want to start this up? Uh, yeah, why not? It's a beautiful song. Once again, a really strong melody, which is the theme for the album, I think. Definitely a precursor to One Night Alone Piano. I wonder if he um, did this one and, and realized that the fans really liked it too, and then he potentially thought, well, I'll do an album like this. Annie DeFranco on the acoustic guitar throughout. Could have been a little bit louder in the mix again, but I think what she plays is very understated and, and works well with what Prince is playing on the piano. And once again, it's a vocal showcase. And the lyrics are really strong in this too, I think. I think it's a very honest sentiment and very to the point. And just some really nice moments, like at the end when he's singing, he holds that more for a long time, then oh, 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 just really nice effects. Don't really have a lot more to say. It's just a very nice and honest and beautiful song. Okay. Player, thoughts on this? Um, Yeah, I know this is one of the standout tracks on this album, but because of the theme of the song and the nature of the lyrics, I tend to skip this song the majority of the time because I think it's a very sad song to listen to. It's a confronting song for me. Um. But in terms of his catalogue of songs, it's an important song because, you know, you've got to address themes and emotions like this in relationships. And here it works because he's putting himself out there. And for that, you know, you've got to hand it to him. Mm. I like the fact he doesn't edit out the start. He left that in there, which gives the song a more personal Roland. approach. Yeah, but he does the little cough. And I like that. That, <clears throat> that wasn't, yeah, that wasn't edited out. So because it gives it that personal approach, like I said. All in all, it's very powerful, but it's just it's just too confronting for my ears. I tend to like I get really sad when I listen to the song. So you know, if I'm not in the mood to get sad, I'll, I'll just skip it. But it's not because it's a bad song. It's just because it's just a bit too confronting for me. Who isn't in the mood to get sad? <laughs> Anyone who listens to the Peach and Black podcast, there you have it. <laughs> just a couple of brief thoughts on this song. I, I love you, but I don't trust you anymore. Seems to me to be one of the most honest and open, insightful songs of Prince's career, taking into account his his entire catalogue. From the lyrics, I mean, even the first line, I could tell from the moment you walked in the room, in the thematic content, it reminds me a little bit of uh, Lately by Stevie Wonder. It has some some similar a similar quality in the piano and the yeah, arra- I can see that. in the arrangement and definitely in the, um, very definitely in the theme. And, and of the of the lyrics and and what he's trying to say, so I've always I've always thought of that as a um, like an updated version of of lately to a degree. So yeah, some great lyrics there. You know, su- such simple lyrics. You could tell from the moment you looked in my eyes that I could see right through you. You must apologize. All those sorts of things. And again, quite poetic. And I, I also really like the fact that even though it's titled "I Love You But I Don't Trust You Anymore," he actually uses the lyrics in an interesting way by sometimes um, changing the order, order of the words to say, um, "I know you you trust me, but you don't love me anymore." And it you know it, it brings up, like player said, probably melancholic emotions. But it's one of the most uh, emotional songs of his career. I mean, here's a guy who is basically primarily known as a, I guess, as a performance artist to the general public. You know, he's got the big riffs, the big pop hits, the big funk hits, and has been known to write a great ballad. But even, I mean, look at his, or the big ballads, they're huge arrangements, huge sounds, beautiful ones. Um, mm. Adore and the most beautiful girl in the world, and probably put diamonds and pearls in there. There's like the four huge songs, and then here's a ballad, but very, very different. And again, how can I not mention this song without not mentioning the fact that I heard it 
twice in one night <laughs> and quite exquisite versions of them. And both of those <laughs> versions, in one way or another, released for public viewing. Uh, and of course, I'm talking about the Montreux performances, which were brilliant. Which were brilliant. They were very, very well done. Well done. It wouldn't uh, be a peach and black podcast without the it, mention of the of, Montreux. Of Montreux. <laughs> and, the, and both of those performances should really come out at some point on a future DVD release or Blu-ray release, we hope. As soon as that mechanism really... comes into effect. Yeah, yeah. as soon as there's a mechanism, we, we hope to, um, to view the, the magic of, <laughs> of this track in a live context. And Captain, I think that leaves you. Another guest lost in the mix. It's an okay ballad. Not listening to lyrics, there's not much there for me to listen to except piano and guitar, and that's pretty basic. It's all about the vocal in this song. So, yeah, that's it. There's yeah, not much to say. All right. I'll just um, say about the um, Andy DeFranco uh, collaboration. I thought it was really cool how Prince, Maceo, and Andy DeFranco kind of had this three-album thing happening where they're each on, uh, yeah. like Maceo and Andy DeFranco are on this album. Uh, Prince and Maceo are on Annie's To The Teeth album. And then um, Prince and Annie are on Maceo's Dial Maceo album. Maceo. So I thought it was really cool that they all came out within a year of each other and they all sort of had this three-way collaboration. It's cool when that happens. Traveling Wilburys did that. Yeah. Yeah. They were all on like, they all, yeah, it is. <laughs> that's another show, which we'll talk about later. So now um, I think comes the, the first complicated part of the show where we, we mention a song that isn't on the official album. And when I say official, I mean the initial album which is Beautiful Strange. Are we all happy to go into Beautiful Strange? A live favourite, a song that anyone who was at the October 24th show in 2003 at the Sydney Entertainment Centre would know very well. They did a version of this at the Soundcheck in Sydney. Beautiful Strange, here as the original album version on Rave Into the Joy Fantastic. And I'm assuming, very presumptuous of me, that we have four Beautiful Strange fans in the room. Is that right? Definitely. Well, we're definitely strange. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes beautiful. You should, never, you should never assume. Never assume. <laughs> well, let's, just for the sake of being shocking let's start with captain on this what are your thoughts on beautiful strange it's good and i know tojan's gonna say it but i prefer the original version which was on the video <laughs> yep is that him doing the backing vocals in the chorus i'm not sure hard to marva, tell marva i believe it's marva king at least she's she's credited as background vocals on this ah, track okay. marva king but it's a great song i haven't seen him do it live but as you will say he just blew your head off with the I guitar. Will. I will. I like the video version. It was a lot more raw without all the bells and whistles on there, on the into version. I should have gone last. <laughs> Player, what are your thoughts on Beautiful Strange? And were you at that October 24th performance? Yes, I definitely was. So we <laughs> was were both there. in the room. Yeah. I mean, like he says in the song, Dive Inside Your Soul. I mean, it's like... Um, in same caliber as Joy and Repetition. It's it's just one of those like really hypnotic tracks and like once you're in it, like you you're really into it. So there's nothing really much I can say because it's just it leaves me speechless this song. It's really It's really, sublime. It is sublime. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Toe Jam. Have we talked about this track before? I'm having like massive deja vu. Not tonight. Oh no, we did it in the top twenty nineties tracks. Yes. Ah. ah yeah, that's what. Yeah. An amazing song, definitely one of the best of 
of um, the last 15 years, I suppose. It's definitely, to me, the brother slash sister of joy and repetition, uh, equally as good. I have to agree with Captain. I do prefer the Beautiful Strains VHS version. And for that reason, I can never really see this song as being part of the rave project. Mm. To me, it's more of a new power soul song. Yeah. Um, but having said that, it's still the interview version is still an amazing version uh, for something different. Uh, it's got that really metallic guitar solo uh, running through it, uh, which is the main difference between the two. And yeah, really insightful lyrics, very slow pace, very brooding. Yeah, an amazing track. Okay, okay. And I'll finish the song by saying more of the same pretty much. But a few things that I'll add up. Because I had Player and I and, and potentially Toe Jam and Captain might have heard this song in other live settings as well. Hearing this live is incredible what he does to it. I mean, the the studio version is great, but it's a song just like Joy and Repetition that can really extend. He can really extend and just really get into, kind of kind of search. And a lot of the solos, the guitar soloing is generally searching when he does it live. This song cemented my fandom to the biggest degree at the Sydney Soundcheck in 2003. This song, and I don't know if player can remember this, but people's jaws were dropped. Yeah, definitely. It was, was awe-inspiring. I remember one guy, I, can't, I don't know who, who this was, but right after the end of this song, with the biggest smile across his face, this, this dude in the, on the right-hand side of the stage just yells out, Sound checked! <laughs> and that was, just, that was just so cool. I, I, I can't remember who, I'd love to know who that, who that person was. So if you're listening and you're an Aussie fan, let us know, because that was awesome. But he, oh, what can you say? Obviously, I'm speechless as well, so I won't waste too much time. But I will say that that uh, Mike Scott does add some nice flourishes in in the um, in the chorus and, and in the verses, and that is credited in in the Into booklet. But I believe it is Prince Prince's solo. I have mentioned in the past that I thought it was Mike Scott, but upon listening to it many many times, I think it is Prince playing that solo. And what a solo it is, regardless who who has played it. But the, the lyrics, I mean, just the what a title, beautiful, strange. Talib Kweli came out with an album called uh, The Beautiful Struggle uh, a few years ago, which, which I thought was quite interesting. That's um, right. And, and that, was, um, that was based on an in- interesting concept by, um, or an interesting quote by Mos Def, where he said, um, life is beautiful, life is a struggle, life is a beautiful struggle. And um, if I applied the same to Prince's title, I would say, life is beautiful, life is strange, life is beautifully strange. And... Just for that simple fact alone, the title alone gives this track an immense amount of respect for me. The lyrics are beautiful, and I hope to hear this song again one day in a live context, hopefully in a sound check. I'm, I'm dreaming, I know that. Hopefully but, uh, in, in an opera house. <laughs> yeah, with an orchestra, which could suit this, this song, actually. But this is the best song on the album for me, except for the fact that it wasn't on the original. Who's on the bass? Oh. Larry, isn't it? I'm pretty sure it's Larry. Well, Prince is credited as being on the bass in this. Really? I mm. thought Larry was credited on this. No, it's uh, as far as I know, it's Prince. Yeah. Oh man, I'm getting old. My memory's going. <laughs> as, as far as I good know, bass. as far as I know, and it is it's credited this way in the actual booklet. Prince is on all instruments and vocals, except the Marva Kings doing the background vocals. Mike Scott's doing the guitar, and uh, I believe it's it's rhythm guitar, uh, and again drum programming, uh, Kirky Johnson. Okay, and from Beautiful Strange we go to, back to the original album, I believe the song is Silly Game. Why do we play this? Why do we play this? Why do we play this silly game? 
Okay. So silly game. I believe it was a uh, what would you call it? A tribute to a degree to the Chilites, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, a band from the late '60s, early '70s. They had some semi-classics in the in the soul vein of, of popular music. Player, what do you think of this song? Uh, silly game sounds like a, an emancipation leftover to me. It's in the same vein as Betcha by Golly Well, La 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 Means I Love You. has a certain 60s Motown style and feel, Chai Lights, as you mentioned. My favorite line in the song is the Be Your Sugar Daddy, One My Ticket to Ghetto fame lyric. I really like that line. It's lines like that make you wonder who the um, who served the inspiration for these tracks. Nice enough, but again, it's just a hit or miss track for me. I believe it would be Shy Lights. I think you're right, like Shy town Because they're from Chicago. Yeah, I I believe you're right. Toe Jam. Uh, Yeah, I like the song. Interesting instrumentation with the vibes and the flutes and and there's a sort of a mix between the synth strings and the real strings. Uh, Once again, it's got that bubble bass, uh, synth bass kind of thing. Slightly dreamlike. My favorite part of the song is the way that every time it gets to the part of the song where it says, why do we play this? Each time he adds one more. So in the last one, it's like, why do we play this? Why do we play this? And there's a bit yeah. of silence. Why do we play this silly game? And I think it's a really original sentiment. I think it's very interesting thought when it's kind of like you're in this relationship and you suddenly get to this point where you're like, what, what are we doing here? Are we just, <laughs> are we real? Are we fake? What are, like, kind of what are we kind of thing? And I think it's a very interesting to put that sentiment into a song. Uh, and also find it interesting the way he accepts blame at the end. Uh, it, there's only us to blame. So it's not like he's blaming, just saying, oh, it's all your fault kind of thing. It's kind of, look, you know, we've both got to this point ourselves. I also have written down here at 3 minutes 10, which is just towards the end of the song, uh, the sort of cadence that sort of finishes the song. If you listen to the bass in that, it's just this really interesting walking bass thing. And a, a, once again, a really strong melody. Definitely not the strongest song, but sets me up for my next one. So I'm waiting for that. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay, Silly Game is a solid song. One of the highlights here is is obviously the orchestral arrangement. And again, it does sound like a sample that's been brought in. So I think the orchestration here is is the standout and the way that the orchestration, the interplay between the orchestration and his vocal, actually. I mean, this... This I could imagine this song being done as an acoustic with like obviously only orchestral accompaniment or just like a harp and a lute or something. I don't know. It just it doesn't it doesn't seem to be the type of song that needs a lot because the melody is quite solid regardless. I do like the point that he's making in the song about relationships. And again it it's funny if you look at, you know, silly game Beautiful Strange to a lesser degree, but definitely I Love You But I Don't Trust You, Man of War, Tangerine, The Greatest Romance Ever Sold. There's a theme here. So a big chunk of this album is um, it's definitely about the, the different parts of a relationship. Um, Captain, I believe. Oh, pass. Okay, <laughs> done. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Woo. Wow. All right. And we go into Strange, something that's strange but true. The song, Strange But True. Strange but true, let's see what you can do. Strange but true, let's see what you can do. Okay, can I take this one? Take it. Okay, I'm saying it and... Yeah. <laughs> this is this is your moment. This is your moment. Oh, We've been doing this show for two and a bit years. I haven't, even got as much to, I haven't even been down as much as I wanted to. But anyway, okay, here we go. Uh, strange but true, I'm saying it. And as of yet, I haven't had anything change my mind about it. Strange But True is my favorite song of all time. Oh, my God. <laughs> no, no joke. 
No joke. Wow. Every time, every time I'm thinking about what is my favorite song, this song is not, always up there, whether it's one, two, or three. You're so talking I think about Prince, that right? Isn't, not just Prince or no, all time. Prince. I think of all time. I think by anyone. Yeah, I'd probably say so. Oh, because wow. every time I'm thinking about it, this is always the one that's sort of there in in my head, and and then I listen to it, and every time I hear it, it just blows my head off every time. Very big. <laughs> oh wow! Wow! Uh, this is the. This might be the biggest moment on the Peach and Black podcast show <laughs> in our history. It's all downhill from here. It's like, I'm, it's like I feel like I'm coming out of something. Jeez. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, do your parents know. know about this? <laughs> Strange but true. This song needs to be added to the Opera House set list, I think. It has to. Oh. Okay. There's just, um, I think one of the reasons, I think if I heard it now for the first time, I might not think that way, potentially because the lyrics are kind of talking about his religion. But for me, this song is like the epitome of the moments when you realize in your life that anything is possible. And to me, he's like, that's what this song encapsulates to me. I hear this and I can just think, yep, nothing else matters. Do what you want to do kind of thing. And to me, it's really uplifting for that reason. It's really futuristic. There's so many futuristic things happening. There's so much stuff happening in the song. There's samples. There's like all these hidden things in every corner of the headphones. To me, it's kind of a um, part two of New World, uh, the song from Emancipation, which I think pales in comparison to this. Uh, But it's kind of stems from that sort of seed, I think. Just right from the very beginning of the song, we we have that um, those keyboards just da, 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 just really yeah. soft in the background, and then just this big kick drum just boom, sh, boom, boom. Just, <laughs> oh man! And it's again, it's got all this futuristic stuff. It's got like a sort of Star Trek line throughout it, da, 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 that kind of thing. And it's got these yeah. orchestral timpanis. It's real declamatory, kind of like, yep, you know, this is my life, kind of thing. <laughs> and I really love the way in the song how the bass starts on seven so it's not starting on you know the main note it's starting on the one before it and leading up to it and um that kind of leads me into my other point which is at two minutes 50 just before the big synth solo what makes the synth solo so great is this little section before it it only goes for like 10 seconds and if you listen really carefully you can hear this like drone in the background and the note that he's playing is again it's the seventh note of the scale which is like of all the chord notes in one octave anyway it's probably the least stable one so it's this feeling of it's stable but you just know any moment now something's going to crack and yeah. then that synth solo comes in and it just ah oh. yeah. that, that, that synth solo <laughs> is, is amazing I have to admit it's ridiculous and then it gets even better it gets better because he's got this little Minneapolis synth line that's yeah that's right three times throughout the song every time he adds it he adds another harmony and the third one with the third harmony it's just yeah. like oh, it gets that's- in your skin yeah, that's right. It's your skin. Yeah, I'll keep going on this track. Keep going. This is the, this is what you are saying is the greatest song of all this time. This is what you were born to do. You, this is your moment. Keep going. We've okay, got I've got a hour. theory. I've got a theory about this. The lyrics of this song. Do you guys know? You know the secret, the book, and the mm-hmm. DVD. Yeah, and oh, I've heard of it. So yeah. basically, what it's about is you know the power of attraction. Kind of like if you mm. continually think about something, then you know the universe will will bring it forth. Kind of yeah. thing. Of the subconscious, and to me, I'm starting to think that you know Prince's interpretation of of scripture and all this is it's kind of a combination of the two. And like to him, you know, his concept of heaven in in the I don't want to get too deep here because I might be completely wrong. His interpretation of heaven in that religion is when you're at that point where you can attract whatever it is you need to attract to make the perfect world. Hmm. So I'm getting deep here, but that's just this is what deep on the that black. comes to my mind when I hear this song. Okay. And I think that's kind of echoed in the um, the voice. You know how it slows down and speeds up? 
when it's just strange but true, strange but true. And then it's this real yeah. deep one. And yeah. if it's whether or not, it's probably not intentional. But to me, that kind of symbolizes that he's sort of saying, what is the difference between a god and someone who is kind of just in the moment doing their own thing? And I think it's kind of, even on a subconscious level, it's kind of suggesting that we're all, you know, superhuman, powerful, if we have the right belief kind of mm-hmm. thing. So well, I might leave it there, but I don't know. I can't say enough about this song. It just it blows my head off every time. I must have listened to it <laughs> probably 300 times, and every time I hear something new in it. It's Surely a, you've got some, a little bit more to say, though. Come on. I've got to leave it there. Ah, <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> wow we, yeah, strange but true. Best, best song of all time. Okay. Holy moly. How do, you, how do you follow that? I think we're yeah. done, guys. <laughs> what, a way to, what a way to finish the show. Oh. Okay, <laughs> I think we're all a bit. It's it's kind of like when, like when how, do you, the how do you experience. how do you come on after Prince? How do you come on after Toe Jam's review of Strange but True? I'll go. Okay, uh, it's a very interesting track. Just it's, say it's just a song. <laughs> <laughs> I read somewhere that there's a sample of controversy, but I couldn't hear it. It might have just been that. Sort Toe of Jam's heard it three hundred times. Why don't you ask him? I've never, heard, I've never heard controversy. I've heard a lot of things, but I never heard controversy. But hey, who knows? I'm not saying it's not in there. It might have just been that Minneapolis synth sound, which is what they meant, you know, from controversy era sounding. Anyway, uh, it's a very interesting track. It's it's a track you wouldn't expect him to come from him. It's it's different than what he does. And all, the only other thing I've got to say is the last ten seconds is funky. The synth is is ridiculous. The um. Yeah. <laughs> the synth solo just blows my mind every time. But yeah, this I like this song. Not as much as some of us. <laughs> but but I, I definitely do like it. The lyrics are, are also interesting. I think the music's kind of future. Music's timeless in the sense that it does sound as fresh as it did back then. And and I think it'll sound that way forever, mainly because of the way it's structured. And and, and that is to say that it sounds like a song that even though he's, he's structured it deliberately... It does kind of sound messy when I hear it. It's you don't quite know what's going on uh, because there's so much happening. But some interesting lyrics. Uh, even the first line, "Okay, let me say this quick before I start to cry." You're mm-hmm. the only one that I gave it to. The one I fantasize for. Blah 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 blah. So then it, you think it's personal, but then he he goes into uh, things like dreams of sovereignty. They tried to come between you and me. A curse therein set forth a chain of events. So you've got all these. All the all negativity bows. Um, yeah, I like that bit. That, that that's pretty cool. And uh, you know, there's all there's also the the classic line: "The only prince that will ever rule this holy land." So it's it's very self-important. I find I actually think that detracts from the song, the lyricism. But then when you get into the the musical side of things, oh wow, who does this kind of stuff? And and I'm mainly talking oh, they, about. I knew you'd have to say that at least once in the show. Who does this? Yeah, who, who it, would do that? Because, well, really, who would? Who, who would put exactly. so, who would put so many stereotypically different elements together into something into a song that I couldn't, for the life of me, describe? I mean, yeah. even if in Toe Jam's glowing review, my, my review of Toe Jam's review is that it's it still hasn't told me anything about the song, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which I think is a big compliment. It's like, well, what what is it really? Maybe player can tell us. Yeah, player, what do you think, Australia? I think we've, we've talked about this before where I don't feel I need to get a specific meaning from a song. It's, to me, it's just like a raw emotion thing. Mm. Yeah. By the way, just quickly for the record in response to Toe Jam, I, I also don't – I go for the raw emotion as well when I listen to most most music, except for the fact that, that lyrics do play a difference, especially when I focus in on them. But this one kind of uh, – I think it defies everything. It defies all logic. <laughs> 
I think it defies, this song defies all logic because so many things, he's brought so many elements into this music, into this particular piece. And I just, for one, I can't make up my mind, but I do think it's quite good. Maybe Player can sort this mess out for us. What do you think, Player? No, I don't know if I can sort out the mess, but this song is the ish. Like, it's, <laughs> it's awesome, this song. The soundscape, the instrumentation, the lyrics, the delivery, the Oberheim keyboard solos, it's pure ear candy. This is a must-hear on headphones track. I've got to say, if you didn't read the liner notes, you would swear Dr. Fink made a return doing the solo at 302 <laughs> from there on in. Uh, you know, you got the funky face on when you're listening to it. The whole track is sonically amazing. It's dark. It's edgy. And it just has some lyrics that just leap out at you. Like, you know, every door that closes, another one opens. That's, That's a great very, line. That's a great one. Yeah. That's All, very much this kind of secret thing, kind of thing. Like, if you're focused on one particular goal then, you know, the universe will come around and make it possible kind of thing. So that's the way I read that line. So. Yeah. The all understand and stand under this affirmation now, but he, he used that understand and stand under reference in the, in the monologue before the song, one song, you know, using the play on words. Mm. And um, the other lyric that jumps out at me is the, you may have lost me, but I found myself. Somehow. I that, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I really like that line. The whole song has amazing lyrics to me. I think where he fails in the style of the message of Undisputed, he more than makes up for it here in Strange But True. And I think this is another highlight of this album. It's very, very cool, cool song. And it's criminal that it wasn't on Rave Into. I don't know what he was thinking. I was just about to say, uh, of all the songs, and I don't think this is the best song on the album, but of of all the songs you would take off, why would you take this one off? doesn't make any sense. Yep. One of the better songs on here. And as strange as it is... We're going into second last song, which is uh, Lenny Kravitz's again. Oh, no, no, hold on. Uh, it's uh, <laughs> Wherever You Go, Whatever You Do. Wherever you go, whatever you do, please remember, remember that I'll always be there for you. Uh, the second last track of this album. Player, what do you think of this? Well, I think you summed it up already. <laughs> um, look, I love looping the first 10 seconds or so of this track with the Lindrum over and over. Some great programming there. I don't know if that's Prince or Kirky J, but it's, it's, it's very cool. I usually used to loop just that 10 seconds. I think it's a nice closing track with a free-flowing feel to it, but it doesn't really stand out to me, this song. And here I'll go, I'll make this point. Prince made a good point around this time of how the songs seem to inspire Lenny Kravitz's track called Again. And the two songs do sound very similar, but I prefer the Lenny song personally. But this song is still good nevertheless. But yeah, I think I'll take the Lenny one over this one. Okay, okay. And Captain? Yeah, the drums in this, they're very forever in my life-y. Mm, yeah. It's, it's, it's very similar beat. Which is cool. But I like this song. Again, with... um. So far, so pleased. This is another sort of poppy wannabe song, but this one shouldn't, couldn't have been a single. It's just, it's not good enough. Strong enough. It's him doing, you know, yeah, this, this could be a top 40 song, but it's not even up to that level. But I, I prefer Lenny's, I prefer Again as well. It's just better. I like it better. But this is, but again, this is it's an okay song. I don't think it, it's not strong enough to be a single, but it's a good, it's a good enough. It's, it's, it's a good closer. Except for hidden tracks, it closes the album nicely. It's no gold. It's no purple rain. It's no temptation. But it, it's nice. How about how about this? I'll tell you what it is. It's in the vein of uh, 
resolution for me. This is <laughs> one of the this is one of the most forgettable songs in the artist's discography, I think. And um, anyone who says, which obviously includes me, that there's a similarity between this and um, again would be correct. But all similarities end when you start talking about one song which is really great and this song which is pretty mediocre because Lenny Kravitz's again is to me a stunning song it's stunning in its in its lyrics in its execution in the video clip oh, it's uh, a good video so yeah the, the ever beautiful Gina Gershon a favorite of mine but do you think Lenny's song was completely original and just so happened to sound like this yes. song or do yes, you I think do. or do you think he's borrowed from this track Lenny and wouldn't be listening to this believe me <laughs> <laughs> But, but as I'm, so, I'm sure Toe Jam will agree, it's the most common chord structure you're ever going to find. Oh, it's pop it's 101. It's so easy to make a song out of that. Yeah, I mean... I, mean, I think it could have easily just been coincidence that they're very similar songs. I would guess, it's a complete guess, because how do any of us ever really know, but I would guess that it's a complete coincidence. I remember watching an interview with, with Lenny, someone was asking about how he came up with, um, again, and his testament or testimony was that he... Um, he was really happy with, with, the, with the end result and that it com- came out, according to him, completely out of the blue. He literally sat down one day and he said it was one of the most easiest songs that he's ever written. And, and it became a big smash in 2000. <laughs> yeah, he just sat down and wrote that the day after Prince <laughs> let, him, let him listen to his new preview of his album. I think, look, I think the, um, the chord progression is virtually identical, but everything else is different. You've got Lenny's voice, which I don't even know. If this is a fair comparison, but Prince sounds like he's singing, singing to like to a bunch of third graders. I was just about to say a bunch of kids. I mean, really, it's, it's such like a where's, where's, where's Elmo? You know, where's Big Bird? <laughs> where's Big Bird when you need where's it? This Katie is just Perry. such a lame song <laughs> from the point of view of delivery and I mean lyrics. They're pretty naive. I think the intent is deeper, but they really don't come across that way. I mean, <laughs> for each rainy day that I, I can't contain the laughter here. For each rainy day that comes your way, the sun will come shining and you'll be okay. Keep on smiling, every girl and boy. Bubblegum pop, isn't it? Remember when you were children, you had toys. <laughs> oh, you're saying this. Yeah, before you're saying, oh, yeah, this track's really uplifting and great. Why isn't this one? Because it isn't. It's trite. <laughs> It's too calculated, and it's just, just oh, I don't know. He tried too hard, or he didn't try hard enough. Tried- <laughs> <laughs> you think he just take closed your, my review take, of this. Take your pick. Yeah, this is one of the most forgettable <laughs> closes off of Prince's or any other album. Wherever I go and whatever I do, I will not be listening to this tune, that's for sure. Toe Jam, what do you think of this song? Oh, I wouldn't hate it as much as you do. How did I know you were going to say that? I think it's a nice attempt at a sentiment. It's similar to Reflection and songs like that, where he's trying to close the album on a you know a nice relaxed note. But I think it is probably a little bit too weak, given the the amazing song that came before it. Uh, and, <laughs> the and greatest all the song of all time. Yeah, exactly. How are you going to follow that up? <laughs> to me, I don't know why, but every time it starts, the guitar riff starts. I hear the Beverly Hills 90210 theme. (laughs) (laughs) I think you've hit the nail on the head. And to me, that kind of spoils the song. So it's a nice little song. It's the Lynn is definitely the highlight, and there's some nice little vocal spatterings throughout. But yeah, it's a bit of it is a little bit of a weak closer. So thankfully, it's not the real closer. Mm. 
I mean, this is from the guy that brought you Peach, ladies and gentlemen. But anyway, <laughs> the real closer is Pretty Man. No, no, no. We've no, still got one I... track in between. Which is what? Silence. There's, there's another Sieg. Oh, sorry. There's a Sieg. The second last <laughs> track technically is a Sieg or a Sieg. Segway. Uh, to experience love for one another on the internet, access www.loveforoneanother.com. Open your mind. There isn't much time. Segway. This That's is, right. This is track 17 on the album, and I have to say, it's just dopey to put an ad on an album. You've already yeah. bought the album. Well, most people would have, unless you downloaded it. That's naughty. But I mean, <laughs> but I mean, it was dated as soon as it came out. As soon as it came out, you know, it was already dated. And you listen to it now, and it's just hilarious listening to him give out like phone numbers for one eight hundred New Funk, and he's he's, he's a great website. If you're and outside just, the United States, please don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's just comedy. I heard it today and I'm like, oh, this is so funny. <laughs> it was just funny. <laughs> yeah, it does. It, I have to agree. It does really cheapen the album that having an ad on it like that. I don't know. It's one thing to put on the lyric book, you know, check out loveforoneother.com. But to have it as yeah, an audio yeah. track, it, it really does cheapen the whole project. Yeah. It's a shame. Oh, well, what can you do? Yeah. Except not do it again. <laughs> but in the you know, future. as as most things with Prince, not through want of trying. I mean, the, he really has, uh, and I know this is probably a point for for a discussion, and maybe for one of our thematic shows. But the more and more we review this man's work, his life and his work, I'm starting to to realize that he really has done almost everything, hasn't he? I mean. <laughs> Not only musically, but every possible thing you could do from Has the artwork. Has he been bungee jumping or skydiving? The, the artwork on, um, on albums to the way that he promotes his music to his websites to the 1-800-NEW-FUNK to the samples to the merchandise to the that, concept that, ticket. That you ones. never got. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the Lotus Flower shirt that MC never received, um, along with plenty of others, I'm sure. Well, distribution, he's tried just about every possible yeah, so way really, there is. Really, potentially the ads on the al- at the end of the album just as a let's see if it works kind of thing, which would be strange because as if you could measure how many people would, would have actually heard that and then logged onto the website. But mm. I digress. We finally go into Pretty Man. Be my baby. Come on, take my hand. Tell me that you want to give with. It's Pretty Man. Hidden track. Hidden track. Some people have claimed this the best song, not Toy Jam, of uh, <laughs> this album. And they said, well, how could have this been a hidden track? This should have been the starting track, the, the most released track, the single even. Don't hate him because he's beautiful. He's a pretty man. And before we go into this review, is it true? Does anyone know that this song was written as a tribute to the Morris Day character? As far as I know, yes. Yes, with Fairly him in mind. Sure. Okay. So, I'm sure not. he said it in a magazine interview, but again, don't quote me on it. Okay. So um, let's talk about this last song and Captain. I've got this down as, with question mark at the end, best song on the album. I, I don't know if it is, but it, it's up there. Mm. It's just such a comedy. It's great. It's um, Pretty Man. It's, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a very funky song. And uh, you got Maceo doing his thing. Maceo, can you blow? Yeah, and you got the extended version. 
in which yeah, it's nothing to get excited about. It's just another Maceo solo. Or maybe, maybe that is something to get excited about for some people. And I like at the end of this track, you've got like this like su- smash. Princey. <laughs> yeah, so you've got you've got this at the end. I think it's the end of the extended version. Yeah, you've got the smashing, and that's mm. supposedly that's Prince smashing his CD in disgust because he was so disappointed with Arista's treatment of it, <laughs> which I, I think is hilarious. Whenever I've smashed a CD, it's never sounded like that. <laughs> no, they, it depends which ones. Some of them bend, and some of them just shatter. Yeah. Mm. That's a shatter. It's obvious to me that that's a mirror shattering. <laughs> Oh, it could be. Yes, Am that I, would make sense for the track. I, the first time I heard that, I thought, "Oh, that's hilarious!" Is you know, it's it's. Um, he cracked the mirror. Yeah, he cracked the mirror with his egos too. <laughs> that's pretty obvious from where I was sitting. Yeah, but that's all. So yeah, Tojo mentioned earlier that he would play rave before a show to get himself psyched. And although I might include it in the playlist, I think this is the track. This is the funk jam on the album. Maceo's all over it. And some nice drum work from Prince. Supposedly he's playing live drums on this. And supposedly he's playing bass on this. And virtually everything else, other than sax, obviously. Lyrics are hilarious. The lines about the hair. The hair, uh, yeah. Look into a mirror, kiss it twice. Hilarious. Smell myself. Yeah, I mean, come on. This is this is one of his funniest songs. It's one of his most listenable songs. It is pure James Brown P funk extravaganza and great song. What can you say about it? One of his best jams. Great, great track. Toe Jam. What do you think about this? Uh, yeah, I can't say too much more. You guys have taken all the good bits. Uh, it's a real funky track. James Brown inspired. Morris Day inspired. Put those two together, and like um, Jerome Bennett would say, it's like fire. <laughs> Who says that? Is that Jerome? I don't know. Oh, it sounds funny anyway. Anyway, it's funny when I first heard this song. Um, you just sorry, you just reminded me of the Graffiti Bridge where the, the guy pees on the plant <laughs> and then lights it on fire. <laughs> oh, and another another random remark from the man who brought you. Daddy and put his foot in his ass. And then the dopey. Bang. That's the funniest line in the movie. <laughs> anyway, go. Funny story. When I first got the album, I remember um, a sax player friend of mine saying, oh, Maceo Parker's on this album and he's on this track. And I really didn't have any idea who Maceo Parker was at that time. And in my head, I sort of imagined him being like a young, like, you know, free jazz sax player kind of thing. And I remember being really disappointed because it's like, oh, he's just playing like boring pentatonic stuff. And of course, that's what Maceo does. <laughs> um, and I've, I've since grown to appreciate Maceo's playing a lot more um, but yeah great classic comedy song I actually kind of think it's a shame it's a hidden track it would have been good for people who might have seen that song being performed live as it was around the time and then going to the album store and seeing that and think oh that's the one that he played on this whatever you know mm. So it's a bit of a missed opportunity, I think, because it was a really good song. Cool. And player, rounding out Pretty Man. Uh, pretty much you guys pretty much covered it all. Uh, it's got to be asked why one of the highlights of the album is the so-called hidden track. Uh, it's an all-time favorite in the Prince community. Prince has said that Pretty Man was written with Morris Day and the time in mind, and you definitely get that. Uh, I wouldn't mind seeing Morris covering this track. If, if Morris can put this song into some of the time material, I mean, hmm. it, it'd sit really it, it, nicely in there. Yeah, they've got a new uh, album coming out. Yeah, yeah. We'll review it on the show when it drops. Um, Yeah, you get the James Brown vibe from Maceo. It's it's really Prince Eddie's best, and again, it's it's with the themes of the rest of the album. It's it's kind of you know doesn't really fit, I guess, 
with the rest of the album. But maybe it's, that's why it's a hidden track. Yeah, but it's you know I think it it should have been highlighted more than just a hidden track because maybe if you, this was released as a single, it might have brought the attention to the project and people got into it more. But it wasn't to be. Mm. You say why? Why would you put it that such a great song as a hidden track? Look at twenty ten. Lay, lay down. down. Yeah. Another, you know, mm-hmm. some some people say best song on the album, hidden track. Why? Who knows? But what's the point of the hidden? Like, I don't get the point of the hidden track. Like, yeah, it was novelty in the '90s, but now it's like, why <laughs> are you doing it? I don't see the point of it of a hidden track. It's only separated by silence. So, like, why do it? It's not really hidden. And what silence it is? <laughs> like. So that's that. That final rounds thoughts. out our uh, huge rave review. Yeah, final thoughts on the album? I'll say it's a weird album for a couple of reasons. Yes. Listening individually, most of the songs, I'm like, yeah, that's a pretty good track. Mm. But when I just remember my memory and my thoughts of the album, I think it's not that good an album. But when I actually listen to each song and I'm like, yeah, that's a good song. Yeah, that's, a, that's pretty good. But overall, as an album, it's just, it's just off. There's something not right. And I don't know what it is. I have no idea. I think I agree. It's not very cohesive. It's just a whole bunch. It's a long album. It's just a whole bunch of songs just chucked in there. I'm sure he did put a lot of time into, you know, this song goes before this one and then this one should go after this one. But it's still, it just doesn't work for me. Like you, you and your iPod talk, you've taken out tracks, you put other tracks in and made your own, hmm. which probably works better than this one does. <laughs> well, it, it's a big clue to the fact that it's probably not his most cohesive album mm. is the fact that he put out a second version himself. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, he doesn't generally do that. Well, yeah, I'm still waiting for my 2010 Deluxe to come. He mustn't have been happy with that. <laughs> Who knows? What are you giving it out of 10? I think I'll have to say out of 10, all the scores we give, Toe Jeff's not going to like it, but I'm going to say <laughs> six and a half. Oh. Yeah, six and a half. Another dagger. Another dagger. <laughs> Ooh, interesting. But see, when I listen to each song, I would give higher scores to a, I agree. A, at least half the songs individually. I would give them a, a much higher score than that. Yeah, I agree but with overall, you. But overall, as an album, it just doesn't work somehow. But yeah, six and a half out of ten. Player? I look at it like this. In, in 1982, when Prince was singing about 1999, for years I was thinking, well, you know, that song was so like a banging song and the album was banging. What Prince would sound like in the year 1999. <laughs> and in the year 1999, it was very plastic sounding. It wasn't, you know, the multiple layers of Oberheims to make a really thick sound. Mm. It had a real thin and plastic sounding. And to me, it, the only word I can think of, it's frustrating. This album's frustrating to listen to because of what it could have been it could have been better in a production it could have been mm. better promoted it could have been better collaborations um from everything like and when i listen to it i think it's a sad album to listen to in the sense mm. that the themes that he's talking about and relationships i mean if you take out the vault new power soul crystal ball and then you go from emancipation to rave i mean emancipation was like the big love album and this is kind of like the opposite it's like the sad breakup yeah, yeah breakup album and it's I mean, that's kind of good that you got like two different sides of a relationship. But for me to listen to it as a whole, it's kind of like a sad album to listen to with the themes and and just frustrating, like I said, because it could have been so much more than what it was. And I think even Prince got to a point where he thought like this direction isn't working, scrap it, let's start from basics. And then we got like the Rainbow Children. So, you know, it's one of those, to me, it's a frustrating album. And sadly... 
like you guys said, individually the songs are good, but I don't really listen to this album that much because of that because I find it frustrating to listen to it all the way through. Like we didn't even talk about the promotional lack of from Arista, but himself, he promoted the hell out of this. He was doing every other th- TV show in Europe and he was Actually, all over I, the place. I've got to mention that the TV appearances, like the Larry King interviews, some of them were really, really good and insightful and I really like some of the stuff he was doing around that era. But I think problem was was Prince wanted Arista to promote the album more and I think Arista wanted Prince to promote the album more and they were just sort of throwing the ball to each other and no one was taking responsibility for it and it just got lost in the mix. Mm. Yeah, there you go. Uh, score, I will score it six. Oh, another dagger. Daggers, daggers. <laughs> Sorry, it's too frustrating for me to listen to. Okay. Be- Got to be a six. I'm just remembering, I think, was it UMC? You gave Batman four out of ten? Four, uh, I think it was four and a half. So I can't wait for this one. iTunes. 4.5, yeah, on the <laughs> iTunes scale. <laughs> 4.5. Oh, well, this is going to be hard. I mean, I know I gave Batman, Batman album, I think it's got only nine songs on, on the album, and I gave it four and a half. This one's got much more. And it's a very difficult album to rate because I, I agree with everything Player said and, and everything Captain has said. And even taking into account the fact that this album contains Toe Jam's favorite song of all time, I struggle with it. But I think the most honest way for me to for rate this is to just pick the songs that um, I really love and try and average it out. So I'm going with, I'm going to have to go overall out of 10 with a... F- oh, <laughs> what? I haven't even said it yet. It's just the first letter. Well, it uh, could only be one of two numbers. Uh, hang on, hang on. Before you say this, are you counting in Beautiful Strange as part of it? Look, Considering it's not I'm, on the original release. First of all, the album loses one point because of the way it was promoted, which I think ruined the magic that otherwise could have been. So um, that's so that, bring, that, that brings it down to a nine. That's already down to a nine. The guest appearances add very little or add nothing. And I think they just, you know, it's the only album that has so many guest appearances. And I think it fails in most aspects because of that. So that takes it down to an eight. Then you have something like Wherever You Go, Whatever You Do, So Far, So Pleased. <gasps> um, all the remixes, like the rave remix and the fact that it, it like this, it's not even really an album. It's There are two different versions. He felt the need to release a second one. It's just a bit of a mess. I had to make up my own compilation. That takes it down to a seven. And really, there's nowhere to go here but down. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because even if I... I don't know that I could say that it contains seven great songs. I mean, great, not good. So I I can't even give it a seven, so I take it down again to a six. Now, from here... (laughs) (laughs) Captain can't contain himself. I can settle on a six. For everyone still listening. But it's frustrating. This this is only going to be in the the uncut version of this podcast. Correct, because the captain's going to edit out, and he's just going (laughs) to make it a lot more simpler. I'll give Rave... A six out of ten. I was going to go five and a half, but then I thought of Man of War and I gave it six. Uh, so there uh, you go. Told you. Uh, <laughs> okay. There's a part of me that wants to give it like a nine or a ten just because it's got Strange But True on it. But I do know that it has some flaws. But for me personally, this when this album came out, this was the first sort of new Prince album that I specifically went out and bought sort of being a although I wasn't a huge fan, I was a, you know, I would call myself a Prince fan then. And this was the first new album that came out after I became a, a so-called fan. So for Your me, it always... Experience. Yeah. 
That's right. So for me, this album has a, has a very special place. I'm finding it really hard to give it anything less than an eight for that reason. <laughs> and obviously, and it has got, for me, it's got like five stellar tracks, five stellar tracks on there. Rave Unto, uh, Greatest Romance, Sun, the Moon and Stars, Strange But True, and I Love You But I Don't Trust You Anymore. And then it's got a couple of really good ones too. I think the album is generally definitely underrated by most of the fans. Some of the, the best things of the album is, is just the production, the vocal layering throughout the album is really thick and nice. The melodies throughout the album is very nice. It's not just a funk album. Uh, I think this is, it's not That's his best album. the problem with it. Sorry, it's because like, his... like, like I was saying before, like 1999, I was expecting the party album. In 1999, yeah. we never got that. Yeah. And I think that's where, like, for me, the expectation didn't meet the actual product that was released. I, I'm not saying it's his best in Sign of the Times, but it's his best attempt at making a Sign of the Times style album in terms of putting all the different styles in there. Very thick, very broad. It's his best attempt at trying to do that again. And it's certainly not that far behind in my years. This is not that far behind Sign of the Times. Well, no, no. Um, the things that do kind of let it down a bit are the guest appearances. Not that what they've done, the guests, is bad, but it's just kind of like it reminds me of what Nelson George says in, the, in that Prince documentary where he says, like, when Prince is producing you, you don't get... You get a uh, Prince production. A, you get a Prince production. You don't get, like, a collaboration between the two. And that's kind of a bit of a drawback given that it was advertised as this big special guest album kind of thing. So that's a bit of a letdown. But, um, yeah, I'm going to stick with an eight. I think it's very underrated and it has a very special place to me. As a music listener, so there we go, eight out of ten. You know, you know, there's trouble when every interview he did for this project, where they talk more about the song 1999 than the actual album he's there to promote. <laughs> yeah, that was the big giveaway too. I was thinking today. The interesting thing about this album is this was, you know, supposedly a comeback album, but this this was ten or eleven years ago. That's when he still cared about having a comeback. Mm. Yeah. I think now he's he's happy with where he is. Content, content, he's yeah. even making albums. He he doesn't need to make any more albums because I think he's come to the point where he realizes anything he does, everyone's just going to compare it to Purple Rain and Sign of the Times, and nothing he does is ever going to be as good. But I think it would have been nice if he got the actual comeback. Then it would have been nice. Oh yeah, it would have been good. It would have been. It would have been good. Yeah. If First that- of all, I don't think there was any comeback anyway. The only, I mean, we're talking. All we're talking about is. When, when you guys are saying comeback, is getting in the charts. I mean, that's really what you're talking about, right? I think it's Either. also a level of respect as well, because at that time, it was the lowest point in terms of, you know, this was the era when, you know, Prince was a joke to a lot of people. Yeah, because so of the name. It's only been since sort because of musicology onwards. Yeah, exactly. Plus, yeah. plus, plus, he had just released New Power Soul the year before. Mm. But <laughs> that's credited help, to things. MPG. Yeah, his face is on the cover. That's right. We'll get to that when we get to <laughs> that. I don't, even think, I don't even think the majority of, or easily, the majority of people don't even know New Power Soul exists. There'd be more people that know that this album exists. Yeah. Lucky them. <laughs> yeah. Actually, MC, I've got a question for you. Hmm. You rated this album six. Yeah, I'm not comfortable with the rating, but yeah. And you gave Batman four. Do you think Batman... Four and a half. Four, four and, a half. Okay, four. and I was going to rate this five and a half, but man, I well pushed it up into a six. But yes. So, but do you think this is a stronger album than the Batman soundtrack? Uh, yes, definitely. Ooh. Okay. I, definitely, I, I definitely. don't. Like this, as, this, as an album, I think Batman is perfectly cohesive. It's a good album as it was meant to be. This isn't. Nah. I think also this was the era as well when it was kind of expected that an album would be like 70 minutes and it is a very long album and it, it's mm. only been since uh, probably the last, well, really since Musicology that he sort of got back to doing 40-minute you know, albums. 40, 50-minute albums. You know, eight songs, nine songs, yeah. 
when you ask me that question, you have to remember that, like what Tojem said, the length of the album, I mean, Batman's got nine tracks on it, right? One of which I don't even have on my iPod anymore. It's one of the only Prince songs that I've actually deleted off my iPod, which is The Arms of Orion. I was going to ask you for it's, Arms. It, it, it's also got um, Lemon Crush, which I don't, you know, that doesn't blow my mind, and neither does um, Trust. So you've already got a third of the album gone that only leaves six tracks. Then Future's okay, but again, doesn't blow my mind. And um, Bat Dance, as good as a, as a collage as it is, it's not as listenable to me. So all of a sudden, I've got four songs left. And granted, those four songs are some of the best songs he's ever done. Yeah. But th- it's just not enough. Yeah. So I think okay. as an album, considering this has got like 15 songs, I'm really comparing, fifth, let's take one off, like four, four to 14. Do you know what I mean? So it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. this seems like just a wealth of material. And it seems more sign of the times-ish in the sense that it's, Across the board, more varied, yeah, 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 so, no, that's cool. yeah. But but well, if yeah, I had, if I had to say, that's only uh, that's only sixteen tracks, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's like forty minutes aside, but, yeah. which so it's eighty minutes, so it's even longer than Rave. But if you take the top three songs off of Batman, top three songs of Rave, uh, although Toe Jam would disagree for obvious <laughs> reasons, I would say that yeah, sure, the the top three songs of Batman are better than this. But as a whole album, there's just too much good material here. Okay, cool. So that's it. That's it. So MC, what would oh, you get six? Yeah. So we got six, uh, six and a half. Player, what did you do? Six. Six. And Toe Jam said eight? Yes. I mean, there, there are Prince fans out there that would give this like a three or a four. Yeah. Some people and, just absolutely discard yeah, I've it. Yeah, I've seen a few people on the forums that are like, yo, you're too generous. Like, especially with me. Like, I'll slam most of the songs on an album and then I'll give it like a high score mm. or con- what some would consider a high score. And yeah, I've, I've thought about that. So um, I'm listening. <laughs> Initially, I was going to give this like a, a four, but then I thought, hold on, rave. Man of War. Man of War. Beautiful, strange. Strange but true. Strange but true. I mean, yeah, that's already four songs. So unless I think all the other songs are absolute rubbish, I can't give it a four out of ten, surely. So Just one last thing. The vote that we got you all guys to do for Greatest Prince Songs of All Time, I've actually taken the songs that were featured on Rave, and this is the order that they are from most popular to oh, least popular. Interesting. The very first one is actually not on the album. It's Beautiful Strange. Uh-huh. Then I Love You But I Don't Trust You Anymore, Greatest Romance, Raven to the Joy Fantastic, Pretty Man, Wherever You Go, Whatever You Do. Oh, they <laughs> made it. Wow. Then Strange But True. Oh, uh, that's another dagger. <laughs> Killing me tonight. I love it. It's Man hilarious. Of- Whenever you go, wherever you do. Man Whenever. of War. Oh, Tan- what? Wow. Tangerine. Oh. The Sun, Moon and Stars. Where is So Far So Pleased? Hang on. Hot With You. Oh, my gosh. Then So Far So Pleased. What is it? Almost last. Jeez. And then Baby Knows, Undisputed, and Silly Game is the lowest ranked on that album. Silly Game? That's all over the place, eh? Yeah. Who voted in that? Come on. (laughs) Where was um, Rave Unto? I missed that one. The actual song. It was number 228 out of all the songs. On that list? On that list, it's the fourth most popular song on the oh, album yeah. wow. for this album. So just in case you guys want to know, that was it. Cool. Shout out to anybody. Um, Shout out to Miles Davis. <laughs> Silence. Just wait, yeah. four seconds. Huh? Done. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I did a shout out to Common. Hey. Oh, yeah, Common. You don't even know who he is. Questlove, we know you're there. Uh, Marvin Kim, we know you're there too. <laughs>
You've been listening to another Peach and Black podcast. Catch all our episodes at podbean.com, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Mixcloud, and all other good podcast directories. Search for Peach and Black Podcast. Continue the Peach and Black experience online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. The Peach and Black Podcast is written and produced by Rob S., otherwise known as MC, Captain, Player, and Toe Jam. Original theme music by Toe Jam. Audio production and additional audio editing by Captain at, that's me, at Funky Temple Studios. Episode artwork by Reverend. Share our podcast with your friends and other Prince fans. If you love our show, please write a review, give us star ratings. You can contact the Peach and Black Podcast by email at peachandblackpodcastofficial at gmail.com.